I think it's weird the way that people see weakness. I always find that really unusual. Like if you speak about it, then somehow it makes you weaker. I often think speaking about weakness makes people, or your weaknesses, makes people stronger. Well, it takes guts to do that, doesn't it? Yeah. It's also just you. If, if you, it's as soon as you acknowledge a weakness, it almost isn't the same weakness as it was before. Cause mm. you, Are you recording now, Con? Uh, vulnerability in general is a sign of strength. Because the ones who have to keep up the bullshit pretense for the rest of their life are the ones who are living sad, and they're the ones who are truly weak, in my opinion, anyway. It's, I mean, you can paint it any way you want, really. I think some people justify it one way, where if they hide their weakness, then you're strong for hiding it. But if you show it, you can also paint it. I, I, I don't. I don't feel that way personally. No, I know that you yeah. don't feel. That. I think other people, though, they like that sort of stoic character. Don't they? I, you know the stiff up our lip. I appreciate that. But if if you're living in a, if you're living in hell, then. There's living in being pissed off a little bit, in a not, but if you're living in a really horrible state of mind, then you have to talk about it, in my opinion. But we'll talk about that the day. Are, are you ready to go, mate? Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, today we've got Richard McCann on the show with us. Thanks a lot for that. Um, Pleasure. Appreciate it, mate. I was passing anyway. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> up, <laughs> up, down on the train. Um, I like stories that are. I like success stories, but even more than that. Uh, I like stories where people have been through hard times and come out and done really well for themselves, and you're a really great example of that. Um, you mean because I'm ginger? Aye, mate. It's, it's a it's a cross <laughs> cross the bear, like, isn't it? Mm. Do you know what it is? How old are you? Do you know, joking. I'm 47. Do you know, I'm not being funny. Fucking hell, mate. You look young. Mm. Can you believe that? Come on. Ginger people age well. Jesus. You know what I mean? Apparently. It, 47, mate. You look my age. Yeah. 30. Yeah. Bang on. Ish. Uh huh. Yeah. Late 20s. Did my research. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, you're right. I have been through some stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but you know what? Haven't we all? We've all got things we've had to endure. And sometimes people hear my story and go, oh, you know, that's, yeah, you've been through that. I've been through some stuff, but not as bad as yours. Actually, your stuff's your stuff. And, and the way that you feel about that challenge, whatever it is, it affects us all the same. Mm. It is all yeah. re- there's a relativity to it, isn't there? Which Definitely. I think a lot of people overlook. I was I was reading something the other day where someone was like, you know, it, perspective is um, a tremendous thing. Like, right. and it's how you deal with what you're given in life mm. defines who you are, not what happens. It's how Absolutely. you respond to that. Absolutely. So, just to give everyone a bit of backstory, do you want to start by explaining sort of what happened to you when you were younger, and then where you've come? Yeah, well, I think it's important to say not just what happened when oh. I was, it was five when it happened, the, the big thing, but even leading up to there, things were tough. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we were brought up on a, you know, like many other people, on a sink estate, mm-hmm. uh, a deprived estate, North Leeds, and we were on the at-risk register. You know, mum and dad weren't doing a very good job. There was lots of alcohol, there was violence, there was, you know, I've got memories of being taken to the social services to choose a toy for Christmas because, you know, mum couldn't afford things. Or maybe they could afford it, but they they drank all the money that they had. So we had a tough time anyway. Mm. But the defining moment for me, it was a week before my sixth birthday, and I'll never forget it, you know, you, you don't forget things like this. When my sister, mum had been out drinking, and my sister Sonia shook me awake, and she said, Richard, wake up. Mum's not come home, let's go look for her. We, you know, we walked the streets looking for mum. We walked down a path on the field at the back of the house in the darkness, and we sat and waited, and unbeknown to anybody, especially us, was, Mum's body was actually laid on the field and we'd watch yards from where she lay. She'd been killed that night on her way home. We later discovered by, you know, most of us will know I'm talking about Peter Sutcliffe, who became known as the Yorkshire Ripper. And that thing that happened, you know, threatened to understandably send me under, you know. 
it was a massive bombshell. My mum was the only thing we had because dad left when I was four and even though, even, even as I'm sharing it now, still part of me doesn't quite believe that that did happen to my mum and that I am part of this massive thing that's, you know, in the news every, I mean, it was been in the news this week. And, but I am part of that and it's just like a really surreal journey that I've been on. Do you, when you look back on that little boy, does that almost seem like a different person to you in a weird way? It's almost like you're, when you watch a computer game, you see the character. Mm. Is it a bit like that? Yeah, it is a, it's very much like that because, and maybe I've had to do that to kind of just move on and, and leave it behind. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's like it happens, it, not, it, not just what happened as a kid, you know, think other things, other challenges that I've had along the way. Yeah. And I know, I know we're going fast forward here a little bit, but 20 years ago I was in prison and it's like, gosh, was I really in prison? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, I was locked up. And, Sometimes when I look back on things that happened to me as a kid, I actually like, I think to myself, I feel sorry for that lad. Mm. Even though it's it's me, it, it doesn't feel like it's me. And I think, I wish I could go to that lad now as the man I am and say, oh, it's, it's going to be all right, lad. Like, it's going to, do you know what I mean? I'm sure that there's there's young men watching now who are probably going through something tough and it, it does get better. Like, you know what I mean? Providing that you do what you did, which is find the positives. Find a way through. Mm. In fact, I put a LinkedIn post together today because mm. today is, uh, is a significant day because... 20 years ago today, after coming out of prison, I reached rock bottom and I formed a suicide pact with my sister. I couldn't get a job. I had this criminal record and I got involved in drugs. And but it was a Thursday, so I, know, I don't know if this is going out, but on the Thursday uh, in August, at the end of August, I got my final interview. So I, we didn't obviously do the suicide um, and I got the final job. So I went from final job interview and I got a job just so just at the very last minute I was about to lose everything in fact take my life I got given this job and it was the start of the turnaround for me that was that was twenty years ago so I get the message is however dark things get however bleak things mm -hmm. appear you know there is a way forward so as a child after going through obviously the worst that any every, any kid can go through at that age um, you then. Did you go and live with your dad? Well, dad separated, or mum and dad separated when I was four, so she was a single mum, mm -hmm. I guess, essentially. We went into a children's home to begin with, and we were reunited with my father, and you know, it felt like a bit of a stranger, really. But the following year, 1976, before you were even born, um, we we set up home with my father mm. and his new girlfriend. And I guess that was the the start of the next chapter of my life, and that was the, f the first time that I can remember trying to be positive, because what that little boy told himself was that mum had been taken, so this is how I dealt with it, mum had been taken by God, I went to a Catholic primary school, the only Catholic mm -hmm. school I went to, but so I'd been introduced to God and I told myself as a, I'd become six by now, I told myself that mum, God had taken mum away from all the beatings so that me and my three sisters, we could have this, sorry, sorry we could have this, that'll be my mum. <laughs> This that, 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 that's the crazy things I tell myself, so yeah. that we could have this fresh start with my dad and a new girlfriend, and that's what it's all for. And I know, of course, that's not true, but that's what I told myself as a kid. And it was like me trying to find that ray of sunshine in that dark cloud, and it certainly helped me. And be fair to say that my thinking influenced where I am now. And my sisters, without going into detail, they didn't or weren't able to think in that way. And you know, you know, their life hasn't unfolded quite like mine has. It's a bit like what we're saying uh, as we're starting the podcast is it's not what happens, it's how you sort of think of it yeah. and it's how you perceive that. And uh, It sounds a lot like you've had a lot of sort of twists or turns because obviously 
you know, if you end up in prison by 20 years ago, yeah. then it wasn't as if everything sort of went clean and No, no, I mean, yeah, you, you think, don't you, that life's like this, it goes, it's not like that. No, yeah. You know, and just when things are going well, bang, something else happens. So, so, so while you're going through a change of family and, you know, with your dad, uh, this man who did this horrible thing is still out there and he's still killing yeah, women. How, so, much, how, so how aware of that were you? Well, so, because my mum was the first... This Yorkshire Ripper term wasn't even known about because it was, it was the first. And it wasn't until uh, the third person to die, Irene Richardson, whose son I've now coincidentally met, it wasn't until she died that then it, was be- it became known as this Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah. I was aware that she got attacked on the way home and she got into a fight. That's all I was told. But then as it became this big news story, I mean, I, I, I had to grow up very quickly when I heard mm. these terms like prostitute and all this stuff. So... I was very aware of what was going on because it was such a massive media thing and like even though we'd moved to the other side of Leeds people were starting to talk about it and there was like some you know recreation of the scene or or the night it happened was on the news and then one of the neighbours were talking to me about it so it was just and I had to before we started shooting there we talked about this stiff upper lip I had to pretend that I was kind of alright with it yeah they were all talking about it in such an easy way and it's like alright yeah okay but deep inside, I was, I was like, "That's my mum." You're talking about that is that is my mum, and and also you're a kid. You don't quite understand the context of all of that. Why someone will go out there and do that, or why, you know? Do you know it, what? Good question. And I've never thought about this until you. I've never once thought why he did it. Yeah. As a child, I was just thinking it was happening. It was like there was this big demon out there, and. And in fact, go, the northeast connection here. There was a, there was a guy. Some of the younger viewers won't know this, but there was a guy who pretended to be the Yorkshire and he sent oh, yeah. this tape. The oh, Wearside. The Wearside. Uh, her Wearside Jack, I think. He, so he, he he left a tape which was discovered by the police or something. He sent it to the police. And I remember I heard, I heard it because it's I'm Jack. Yeah. You're uh, no nearer to catching me now than you, than yeah. you were four years ago when I started. And going back to your con- uh-huh. I was thinking, yeah, when you started was my bloody mum. Yeah. So. Growing up with all this going on, one, I tried to pretend it didn't happen, I was okay, but inside I wasn't, I needed some help. That's a common thing with a lot of people, you know, we have stuff going on inside and we, we it's that stiff upper lip and we don't want to face up to these things. And But secondly, it was this monster out there and I thought it was going to kill me mm. as a kid. You know, sometimes we think the worst and... Oh, I mean... As, as much as I try to be positive... I can only imagine nightmares and whatever else must have happened because for me personally if someone had done that I would have been terrified like I would have been thinking but it feels very close they, to home doesn't yeah, it yeah well it doesn't get any closer than your mother and literally in the field behind her well not home. only that and not many people know this unless they've looked into it in detail but the fifth person to die was a 16 year old girl called Jane MacDonald now she lived on the same street that we, would, that we live with my mum she lived seven houses away and she used to babysit for us. Mm. Not the night mum died. Wow. So when Jane got killed, it's like, shit, he must have been watching the house for months. He's killed a babysitter now. And I thought, he's going to kill me. And I've got this memory, so we're talking about seven or eight now, uh, being left. I was taken to the local quarry in the local woods with my father, looking for some wood to build a pigeon shed, funnily enough. And because it was a bit kind of dangerous, I was left at ground level where it was... It was like a, you went down to get into the quarry. They all went to get this wood, and I was left on my own. And I thought, right, he's going to, like he's been following me. He's going to get me now. Like a classic movie scene, almost. Sort of, you're on your own, a kid on your own, just waiting for the, 
this guy who's been like tailing me and he wasn't obviously I just kind of yeah. and, and I started screaming hysterically yeah. my dad comes running and says what's wrong I, I made up this story that there was a guy there that was going to I can't remember what I, what I actually said but I said a guy had tried to attack me and I started and that would have been looking back on it I assume the trauma just coming out of, of what you'd been well, the through fear, uh -huh. the fear the fear and also because obviously it was, that's not true he wasn't there but because I didn't get any counselling at the time yeah, I just kind of made it all well, up. That screaming is a release, I suppose, of some sort of all the shit that's going on inside. Did you... Uh, so who did you end up sharing it with at the time? Because, obviously, it's also... Your dad had left your mum or, just you know, he yeah. decided to leave the family, whether yeah. it was your mum or whatever the situation yeah. was. And like you say, he got a new girlfriend by that point, so it's not like he's sort of emotionally attached in the same way that you're always attached to someone's mother. Mm. It must have... Because... Could you talk about it with your dad? Because that must be difficult for the new person who's part of that. Yeah, it was a taboo subject. Remember, I'd be fair to say, having now got the social services file, mm. that they had a quite a turbulent relationship. Mm. So, the, I mean, it did leave her after all. So yeah. he didn't see her in a positive light. Mm. So it, she was never spoken about in a positive way. In yeah. fact, in the f on the few occasions where I recall him speaking about my mum, it was like she was a waste of space type of thing. Even after the oh, oh yeah wow yeah. so. So it just it wasn't something we spoke about. As a kid, was that something that you... Like, did you buy into that? Or were you sort of like, don't talk about my mum in that way? Well, would I never stand up to my dad for a start? Sure. So, so I might have thought like that, but mm. I wouldn't stand up to him because he would have beat us to a pulp. And he did beat us to a pulp. Mm. And I'm trying to think about how I actually... I just tried to knuckle down and, and kind of, all right, that's how you're speaking about her. Well, sod it. And just... but that seems like in spite of rather than with... Do you know what I mean? Like a parent in my in my mind, a parent, even though my parents are divorced, and you know, every now and again, every divorced parent has that word about that previous parent. They, you know, you you always think that if your parents are a supportive person, and you like to think that you know, if if that one parent is gone, then the other one will be supportive. Was that and that was never the case for you? It was not the case. I do believe my dad loved us all. Yeah, uh, but he just didn't have the wherewithal, the the skills to not only bring up kids. I mean, bring up kids is hard. But for for traumatized kids, he just was not equipped to do that, yeah. and consequently, we we suffered some very brutal beatings at the hands of my father. You know, was there a reason for that? Like in his well, mind, if you, if you, well, I guess in his mind, he had done something wrong. All right, like we had no money in the house. So, so this is I, discipline. I, yes, discipline. Uh -huh. So he would beat you, but there was occasions where he would do something for nothing. I've got this memory of being uh, in bed, single bed, and my sister Sonny's beside me. They'd gone out drinking, so Sonia was left to babies. Anyway, he came in, and he came into the room at midnight, and, and he leaned down, and I thought he was going to kiss us goodnight, and he bit onto our noses like that, and all, you know, and then he bit Sonia's nose. So that's not about discipline. That's about power and drunkenness, and he drowned the dog in the bath. He actually killed the dog for... But in his eyes, he, he, his defence, when I challenged him... Uh, 13, 12, 13 years ago when my first book came out I sat down and I challenged my father as a man now why he did some of those things and I asked him about the dog killing the dog I mean his reason for killing the dog was it was a female it was a bitch mm. and it came into season when it came into season all the dogs on this day would try and mate with her right. so I've got this memory when back then when the pubs used to shut at 3 o'clock on a Sunday my dad been asleep in the sofa in the living room had been drinking and Winnie the dog was scratching at the front door to get in with a big pack of dogs behind her so my dad was woken up he leaps out he pulls the dog in it was a white dog so it was filthy and he took her upstairs and I thought it was just bathing her mm. he ran the bath and he could hear the dog and 
and then it just went quiet and it, it took the dog outside and he buried in the back garden we never ever spoke about that and I hated him for that but when I spoke to him 12, 13 years ago about that incident his defence was now he grew up in Northern Ireland and their, the family the McCann family they bred which have turned out to be a really successful uh, family of greyhounds um, they, gre they bred greyhounds and if a greyhound was not going to be successful and it had some deformity they would just drown the dog there and then right. so to him in his little world that wasn't a, such a severe thing and a bad thing as we might see it uh, and that was his defence. I think he was wrong. By did, the way. did he? Did he look shocked when you brought it up? Not shocked. He would try and defend himself, like you know, you don't know. Because yeah. it it's funny. Because as I've become like a man in my life, I I realise that the adults around me who uh, like family and that an extended family, I'm like, oh, you don't realise how much I was fucking paying attention. You there. You don't realise what an eight year old who switched on can remember and right. and. And they, a word of advice I would give to everyone out there who's like maybe a parent or whatever or, or thinking about it in the future, always respect kids because one day you might wish you had have done. Because now with me being a big bloke and all that, there's a lot of people who wish they'd been very nice to me. <laughs> you know sure. what I mean? Because they looked at me as a skinny little eight-year-old eight and thought, oh, I just... But now like people do underestimate and I mm. think it sounds like you were heavily underestimated as a young man. Yeah, well, maybe. I'm just trying to think, underestimated in what way? I think just not respected. I'm like, yeah. you know, by, mm. your, by your dad at all. Like, um, I, I can't work out. I mean, I know you say you loved you, and I've got, I don't disbelieve that in one second, but to do that to a child is uh, it's one of the worst things. To bite them on the nose, like, it's just anger, isn't it? It's yeah, nastiness. It yeah, there was other things, you know, that, I mean, I won't go into it, but there was things that he did within the family that mm -hmm. were horrific. <sighs> And for many years, I carried a lot of anger for my father. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I didn't have a great deal to do with him. I tried to, you know, but it just that, that bond that I used to see with like friends or maybe even on TV, you know, father and something, we just never had it. Mm -hmm. And in, in the, but in late, late years when I matured, it was almost like the, the, the balance was shifted and it was more of a level playing field. In fact, not even that, it went the other way that I had to teach him how to behave. <laughs> You know, and, it's funny and, how kids end up doing that yes. to their parents. Um, what, what I'm interested in is, to me, when people have bad things happen to them, that anger that you can be left with can almost drown you. It can it quite can, consuming. It can overcome you, yeah. Mm. And you've, you've obviously had something horrible done by this strange man who you've never met before to your mother, but also then you've got your dad mistreating you. Did you feel any point in your life, like when you're a young lad, that this anger was taken over, or, or did you always find a way to deal with it? I won't say that I ever felt that anger was taking over, but I, you know, I'll be honest here. When I was a young man, 16, 18, 16, 18, I was actually violent to my girlfriend. Mm. I'm not saying I beat her up. I'm not saying I punished anybody, but I was. I've got a memory of being drunk one night, and she'd poured a drink over my head, and when we got outside. I'm embarrassed to share this, but it is what it is. I took a twig off a tree outside the Merrion Centre in Leeds and I was like whacking her on the legs. But it was only a thin... It was almost a bit jovial, but, you know, I shouldn't have been doing it that. It was stupid, yes, but, yeah. And and two guys came over who were boxers and were going to batter <laughs> me. And then, you know, I obviously snapped out of that. But the worst, I think the worst thing that I did, which borders on violence... I'm not making excuses here. It, it, it was me and my lack of being able to contain the anger. It was my girlfriend 
I'm 19 now, just come out of the army, got kicked out of the army. She'd come into a lot of money because her dad died. And she was just, and I moved in with her, and I think she'd just given a few grand away to one of her mates who wasn't, her cousins that wasn't work. She wasted the money, and we, we got into this fight over the money, and I think she had some money in her hand that she was going to lend her. And So we lived in a block of flats, seven floors up. I wasn't going to do it, but I'm, I threatened that I was going to throw her out of the window. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just trying to scare her not to give her the bloody money, but she didn't know that. And it kind of settled down obviously I didn't do it I didn't throw the money out of the window I didn't throw her out of the window mm-hmm. but that night her mum was there waiting for me and she battered me with her shoe you know when I came home she batted me with the heel of her shoe what that says to me though is is you weren't taught as a young man through all of this as well uh, self control and for me it took me quite a lot of years to learn that and even now <laughs> Lawrence will vouch for this I still struggle with it it's something I've always had an issue with like uh, temper but one thing I did realise being a big lad is if I don't get ahead of me temper then I'm good. If I do something stupid yeah. like you've just described, it could be worse because I'm capable of, uh, like I'm strong. So I, I might think not think. And if I lose control, it could be very very bad. So that my fear of what I'm capable of led me to take stock of things. But I think every lad at some point has a, a moment of fucking hell. I better keep a heart of myself here. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people also they underestimate. I think it because. A strong male figure around a young man can be quite important. Oh, it's, it's not so only important. it's not only about enforcing what um, maybe what your boundaries are, but also showing someone what they're capable of, and then being able to sort of control that, like you say. Yeah. And that's what you didn't have because you had someone who's completely out of yeah, control. Didn't, didn't come into it at all. But you. But it doesn't sound like you are particularly resentful of your father now, or like you are particularly. I'm not resentful at all. We lost my dad. Three years ago, mm. he he yeah he he just moved into his new his new granny flat, and uh, he had pneumonia. He just didn't go to the doctors, and his sister found him on the sofa. And uh, what's really I'm gonna get a bit deep now? What's really mad about my father? Mm-hmm. I, I forgave him ten years ago. Mm. What's really mad about my dad and him dying? Is two weeks before he died, I'm in Leeds city centre, and he's outside the Stick and Twist pub. That was his little local cheap beer mm-hmm. and he's having a smoke outside and I saw him and I'd come out of this multi-story car park and I often beat my horn he'd give me a wave but I beat him on and he didn't see me and for the first, and he often doesn't see me I'd, I'd, I'll just leave it I'll see him next time and I got this urge to pull over on double yellow lines and, and run up this front of this pub and it's quite a up some steps and across this casino forecourt anyway and I, and I said oh hi dad <laughs> anyway I said I was just going out to Iran to speak and he was asking me about that. He was asking about my wife. She was, she was ill at the time. And then for the first time, and all his mates were in the pub, all, all his, I'm going to say his cronies, but his mates that have not seen me in a positive light because I, I wrote about what he did to us and now speak about it. So I could feel them watching us. But my dad stood up. And for the first time, he, he, went, he went, I knew he was going to hug me. So we just hugged. And he went, I love you, son. I said, I love you, dad. And that's the last time I saw him. It's funny why did I pull like... Why did I pull over my car that day? Mm. So, uh, do you believe in? Um, I don't know. Like, some things are meant to be. I do believe some things are meant to be, and mm. I do believe there's some. Not, I'm not religious, but I do believe there's some. There's something going on that we can't articulate around mm. us that make things bring people into your kind of on your journey, and, and things happen, and and we get influenced by mm. maybe those. I don't know those that have passed over. I don't know. Um, None of us will ever know until we get there, but I do believe I've had too many 
strange happenings or throughout my journey, uh, which for me tell me there's something bigger than all of us taking place. And in fact, that crazy thought is part of why mum died. You know, she did, remember I thought when I was a kid that she died for a reason and, and I still believe that at a very deep level. I don't speak about that very mm. often, but the truth is that's what I believe. And those thoughts help me. Yeah. And you know, honestly, some mind-blowing things have happened. I mean, that's a really good example. My dad, uh, you know, having that urge to speak to him that day, and it's last time I saw him. Died. It's it's an incredibly sort of um, not to be disparaging about the story, but it's an incredibly sort of messy story to put together because there's so many different strands there. There's sort of your mother's side, the father's side, your own journey as well mm. in that. Is that why you decided to sort of write about it and maybe piece it bring together it all together for you? The decision to write, it gets messier. The decision to write about it was because my sister Sonia, who was been like a soulmate throughout my whole journey, we were the two eldest. We went looking for mum, and you know we were, we didn't even have to talk. We just look and we knew what we meant. And and she stabbed her boyfriend, right, in self defence. Her violent boyfriend. Every man she's ever dated has been violent. In fact. I think I might be right, I might, might be wrong on the odd occasion, but for all my three sisters, I think almost every single man that they've dated has turned out to be violent. Right. Uh, Do you know how they say you go for a man like your father? Do you think that there's something in that? May, or? May, maybe there's some of that. Yeah. Or, there may be some of that, but I think when they meet them, and I've met, some, I've met a lot of them, they turn out to be charming at the beginning. Right. So yeah. that, That's very I'm, often I'm the case sure. with abusive men, though. Is that's often You often find that with abusive men. Well, yeah, they because can be very they, they know that they can't enter into the life of the abusive, so what they do is they put on the show, get them to love them, and then they Slowly become the arsehole. Yeah. yeah. And I, still cover it, I guess. Uh, I, I got a... In, about four years ago, I got a text from what's it, one of my sister's new boyfriends. I didn't, I've not even met the guy. Text me. Hi, it's John, whatever his name was. Uh, just want to, to let you know, I'm, I'm not a... I can't remember what words he used. I'm, I'm not a dickhead. And uh, I just want your permission or your approval to date your sister. Straight away, red red flag there. Yeah, that is often Why a red flag. Anyone that? texting you, I'm not a dickhead, definitely a dickhead. All right, just just letting you know. Yeah, yeah and I want your permission. Not, not even know you. Mm. So, so I said, how, how can I give you my You don't need my permission, but how could I give it not even knowing anything about you? It turned out to be like a complete and utter waste of space. And I, I, I wish I had permission to share what happened with that gentleman, but put it this way, he, he's just been released from a sentence that he served. Uh, wow. Because so, of what happened in because, that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Right, okay. So so that, I mean, that sounds... So, so going back to yeah, the book, the book yeah. the book was because my sister stabbed a boyfriend, she didn't kill him, and I thought, fuck it, I've had enough. I've had enough of that, going through all that. And my sister's going to go to prison for stabbing this guy. And I, I, I've watched the whole journey. I've, I've seen the lack of support as kids. My sister leaving home at 12, 13 to go into care because of beatings from my dad. I've been going into a, you know hostel and all this crap I thought she's going to go she's going to go to prison and I thought enough's enough I want the world to know what we've all experienced mm. but particularly her so mm. I thought I'm going to tell the world what we've been through and uh, actually the police dropped the charges yeah. so the the need to write the book was gone but through a chance meeting if they are chance meetings on a holiday in Spain uh, I met a guy that had written a book about his life and uh, I got the nudge to continue writing the book so that, that was the reason yeah. I, I, when I was researching, um, uh, it, I come across an article. I don't know how true it is because I take everything I read with a pinch of salt. I'd rather ask you um, about 
one of your sisters, it might have been the sister, wasn't happy about the book being written or something? I can talk about that because it went into the public eye. That's Donna, my sister. Right. Is that an, a different sister than the one yeah, yeah, you're yeah. referring it to? Is. All right. D- Donna, what can I say? She hated the fact that I'd bared my soul uh, and she went to town on me and still goes to town on me all the time. Because she was, I, I mean, I read it briefly, but it said something about that she disputed some of the the things you said about your dad uh, in the book. Um, but she didn't say he wasn't an arsehole. I think it's something along the lines of he has redeeming qualities or something like that. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? It doesn't sound like you're not speaking about him in that way, though, to me. Do you know what I, I, mean? I agree. Yeah. Which yeah. is exactly how you sat and spoke about him, really. Actually, she never read the book. Right. Oh, right. She'd not even read the book. Uh-huh. Based on that, she went on Amazon and slagged the book down and everything. She'd not read the book. Uh-huh. And I'll stop there as to her motives. All I know is I speak from the heart. I could have wrote a hell of a lot more in that book and I decided not to about other people as well. And I thought it was an accurate, um, balanced depiction of what my mm. father did. Well, there you go. Because she never actually took you to task on any detail in the article no. at all so it wasn't like she said well he said this and he didn't do that She, I think um, how dare he was the how, how, how do you yeah. feel and, about writing a book that some people might not want their story shared like your dad your sister did you just sort of well, take a bit of a leap and say you know what it is enough's enough or? no 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 I, I Donna in particular mm. she hardly features in the book right I, I didn't talk about her because I know what she's like she's always been the same way mm-hmm. so and I don't want this to get into a big thing about Donna but no. she is how she is and mm-hmm. it didn't surprise me that she went to the media and she's done some other things since mm-hmm. and you know let's just say I've had to just keep her at arm's length yeah Can I just think- sorry I just wanted to I just brought that up not to try and be like oh I've been doing my research no it's absolutely if fine if someone out there goes and researches it I want you to have been able to answer that okay. question when they were looking at it one, one question that stick um, you know they say there's three sides to every story mm-hmm. the, you know your side their side and sort of the truth right, Okay. and I'm not saying your version is not the truth but I'm saying can you appreciate um you know, want her wanting to be private or her not wanting it to be out there because you say you appreciate her side of it, and we we haven't discussed this beforehand, so I'm only asking. A oh no, question we literally um, don't talk. We don't talk to each other because it's impossible to do a podcast afterwards. Um, do you, can you appreciate everyone else's aspect of maybe not wanting to share us, or is that something that you see? I see it, mm. and to some degree, I can appreciate where she believes her story has been I guess publicised mm. that's what she's concerned about mm. although there's, there's other motives as well all, all I can say is when I decided to write the book my reasons for doing so were honourable mm. and I tried to do it sensitively bearing in mind that I went through life pretending that what really took place didn't happen I'm, I'm talking about my mum here yeah. so I, I, I lived a lie putting on a brave face, mm-hmm. lying to girlfriends, not telling anybody, and, and, and it consumed me. You know, I'd, I remember coming out in red rashes when I just said something simple like, I've been to the cinema, and I'd go red thinking they're thinking I was lying because I was living a lie. So That must have been nice. Like. So all I can say is I try to do it sensitively. I am appreciative that she may not have been happy with it, but I've got to live with the consequences of how that upset her and I think for the greater good I'm glad I did the book mm. including how I wrote about my father and, and, and 
you know, I'm, there's a bit of regret there, but I'm, I'm still believe I did the right thing. It sounds a little bit like there's also obviously uh, her own grieving process there and her, sort of her struggling to come to terms with maybe some of the details in the book, right? Or some of the details of what it might bring up. She, she wasn't the only one as well. On, yeah. on mum's side of the family, some of them, you know, have, have written me off, mm-hmm. you know, uh, washed their hands of me. And how's, how's that been as an experience for you? It's, it's been tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, even... Even my stepmom, mm. who brought us up, you know, she, I'm not welcoming her daughter anymore, you know. There's been lots of <sighs> backlash from me going public. And I, and I think a lot of it is the, in their eyes anyway, the financial rewards I may have had because of well, their story. That's right. quite a cyn- that is quite yeah. a cynical way of looking at it from your family's perspective though, isn't it? Well, some of them have said to me, well, I, I don't want this to become a, you know, attack on the family. No, I don't think it does sound that way either. Uh, yeah. No, I think I think we're having an honest, open discussion where we're putting questions to you that people might want answered and maybe they would want answered. And I think you're, you're answering very open and honestly, mate, so fair play. Yeah, well, I guess because some of those people probably will never speak to me again, um, I think it's I think it's appropriate for, to, to say that's you know many of them will never speak to me again mm. because I wrote that book and I mean sadly one of them's no longer with us but her words to me were uh, anybody any one of us could have made money from the death of your mum so that's all that was her concern well actually that book was my journey and how I went through life and how I dealt with it and my mistakes mm-hmm. and so that hurt to hear that yeah. And I've had other comments along the way. Do you know what? Even just yesterday, on Facebook, I put a post on Facebook. So I've got my my own page, and I've got like a, almost like a fa- fan page where you can have as many followers. Mm-hmm. And I put something on there because I was having I was struggling to post on there. It's like sometimes I post and it wouldn't. So I put a post on yesterday. This is just a test because uh, I'm having a few problems putting things on Facebook. And the comment came back because nobody wants to hear your bullshit. Right. So I looked at who this person was, and it's somebody from the estate where that I grew up on. So. I guess the reason I'm mentioning this is because it still goes on that that little yeah. chip away. And you, people don't want to see successful people. They want to find the cynics. They want to find the fault, and you know they don't want to see people. It's interesting succeed. for me personally because I've thought about writing a book one day, and I've mentioned that I'd be interested because um, I've had a lot of ups and downs in my life before I've uh, ended up doing this, and I thought about what it would be like to put. A, and instantly all these questions come into your mind of what well, do I mention that do I mention this and then mm. do you and yeah. will this upset that person and I think if you do write a book the only way to do it is to just give as much as you can and go all out there's no point in in writing a book and leaving out a lot of stories that because it may have this person and that person you know and otherwise if you if you're gonna if you're gonna do that then you may as well not do the book at all mm. you know you either do it and do it properly and do the lot or you don't do it at all and, and I, if I do one I think that's the way I'll do it to be honest the, the only thing I will say on that I, I, I mostly agree with you but what I will say is when I publish my first book it has to go through a legal reading almost mm. so every kind of you know what's the word you know, contentious issue that could get that could end up in court they have to look right if that ended up in court what evidence have you got who will be a witness so when you say write everything you just for a publisher unless you go self-published they will look at everything you write yeah, and say that. Self-published okay. then, I guess. Yeah, but, you're, but although you're still in the same, you still might end up in court, should you write something that can't be proven and yeah. someone wants to defend it? So. I'll just make sure if I'm writing about someone they can't afford to sue us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, mate, it, it's a, it's an awkward one. And yeah. uh, I think, you, to be fair, you've done the right thing. Yeah. And 
what was the feeling like when you first decided to make it? Who's the guy you met in Spain, by the way? Can you say? I, I, yeah, it was quite a... Well, he became famous in his time, Craig Shergold. Right. Craig Shergold. I was on a salsa holiday. Don't laugh, but I took up salsa. <laughs> So, sorry. This is, this is the most northern thing ever that's happened. Just imagining oh, yeah. you giving it the. Ch -ch -ch hey, hey, <laughs> let me tell you, some of the best holidays I've ever had are those salsa holidays mm. in Spain. I'm I mean, afraid. There's a lot of girls out there. Absolutely. The and, if there's any males watching this, one of the top tips I'll give is take up salsa dancing. <laughs> let me tell you. I'm not joking. Some people use it as a shortcut because it's a very easy way to get close to other people. Rainbow frankly. rhythms. I'm not saying that's the reason you did it. Well, I, no, I'll, I'll I did used to DJ a salsa night in my local town. Oh, oh my god. It was. There's some funny stuff. <laughs> From there. <laughs> That's on the next podcast, and it's just me it and you. Then. Great story. Yeah, oh, yeah. some really good ones. It, it, it was part of my, the salsa was the part, part of me wanting to, to change my circle of friends. Mm -hmm. But also, yeah, I've been honest about it. The numbers thing. There's most of women that go to salsa. Yeah. So you know, I'm a male of the species, and it was yeah. um, it was a good period of my life. How do we get onto that? Um, um, oh, you've got, you got a way to crave. We so, do that a lot, mate. Sorry about that. I was did on a, he also go on a salsa? No, no, no. He, okay. we were all. He was a normal person. He was just attending with his mum. Not again, not the salsa holiday, just to make this clear, yeah. Um, so we were on salsa holiday, about 200 people, and there's this guy who was around the pool in the afternoon, he had a big scar down his skull with a medallion around his neck. And I, I sometimes do it, I, I'll just speak to random people, me. I said, um, So he wasn't with our company, I went, Come here, tell me your story, what, what's going on? So he said, um, <laughs> What's all this? Yeah, yeah, or words to that effect. He said, What, what are you is? dressed as? <laughs> yeah, where do you, yeah. Anyway, I said, he said, oh yeah, my name's Craig Shergold. I'm in the Guinness Book of Records. I mean, Google Craig Shergold is got, he had, he was dying of cancer. Right. He was in hospital and the only thing that put a smile on his face was when someone sent him a get well card. So his mum put this shout out, please send my son as many get well cards as you can. I think he's had 300 million. He's a proper... 300 million? 300 million. There's still this thing that goes on where he's... Wow. Anyway, so he says, oh yeah, my mum wrote a book about my journey. Bearing in mind, I'd started to write a book and then stopped. I went, oh really? He said, and they're making a film out of it now. So I went, I know you. I said, I know that story about the Get Well Cards. And the, oh, by the way, the scar was, somebody in America heard out, heard about this guy with cancer dying, and they, they, they paid for this operation in America, and he survived. So he wrote a book, and, and it is a film, and you can get it on um, YouTube. So and I thought that meeting was one of those chance meetings where somebody was placed in my path just to give me the nudge. I said, like, can I speak to your mum? Introduce me to the next day. And Marion Shergold introduced me to her the next day and she's friends with the craze and all sorts of East End of London woman. Wow. And I told her my story. I'm imagining Peggy Mitchell now. Yeah. I'm just... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Big larger than life character. Mm -hmm. And I said, what it is? I said, I started writing a book this year. I said, I've stopped. What is it? And I told her and she went, Richard, you've got to write that book. And I just thought, she's right I'm going to write that book. So I came away, continued writing it, and that's how it came about. Wow. So we've we've run, we've raced forward a little bit there from obviously you in your, in your childhood and the struggles that you went through to writing the book. In between that, you said you went to prison and you joined the army. You joined the army first. Uh -huh. Yeah, because I joined the army because so so basically, I grew up with low self-esteem. They're all better than me. All this stuff's going on inside. I'm not worthy. Is basically where I was at. Mm. Left school fled the house to get away from my father at 16 and my first job actually my first proper job was uh, ironing trousers in a factory I thought it's just a job and I didn't go back to school for my exams so I've got no qualifications and then I did a job uh, ironing, trou sorry, ironing trousers that was washing plates in a hotel so I was a kitchen porter full time and I thought there's got to more to life than this but can I just, can I just pause when I was a teenager I did delivering milk delivering papers 
And I remember getting a Saturday job at a butcher's. That's so funny. I did a butcher's wow. job on the weekend as well. On the weekend. But do, do you know why it's really funny? I, just, I can remember the pride. Mm-hmm. They used to send me for the sandwiches at like 12 o'clock, 12.30. Mm-hmm. So with my apron on, with, I don't know if I have a badge, but I had an apron on. I'm walking, I thought, oh, I'm like everybody else now. In fact, I work in a job, in a shop. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that little kid with self, low self-esteem, it was great. And identity, self, sense of identity is massive, isn't it? For mm-hmm. Especially when you've been through something where people make you feel less than them. Um, uh, I, I kind of know what you mean because I remember my when I on the weekend when I used to do my uh, six seven hours or whatever in the butcher shop. At the end of the day, I'd get me wages, but I'd also Tenor. what do you get? I'd get uh, twenty five quid. What? Right? I mean, this wow. wasn't that long ago. The no, was okay. probably a bit. Long he was ago. better at negotiating at the time. <laughs> I mean, he's a big lad. Yeah, he uh, walks in. Yeah. Even then, I was preparing for coral. So yeah. anyway. they said all the sausages you can eat or twenty five quid, and he went. I'll go for the 25 quid. <laughs> I actually did get a sausage roll every day yeah. as well. But um, but at the end of the day, I remember he go, right, so what, what do you want for your uh, Sunday dinner? Because it was on the Saturday and I was like, I'll take a uh, beef or whatever. And I remember taking it home to me mum, mum, single mother and that, and I was like, there you go, mum, no, no. did my bit. Yeah, and that really go. made us feel like uh, Brilliant. a proper Provided. bloke mm. at a young age. Eh? How often do you shave? I shaved last night, mate. Yeah, how was it? What was the experience like? Um, well, I've just started doing this new thing where I sort of shave the top of my beard into sort of like a point so yeah. that it's very angular. Yeah. You need all the help you can get when your sort of cheekbones are covered in um, globules. Meat and gravy. Globules. Yeah. So, uh, um, it looks good. It makes you no, look defined. I, I, I know that. Yeah. yeah. Do you um, do you also shape the bottom bit? Cause yeah, the bottom I do the neck as well. Bit, yeah. Another thing is having a tattooed neck. It's always good to show off the tattoos. Same me tattoos on my arms. They look like I've had them for longer than I've been alive. Because of the hair. Yeah, but yeah. whereas the tattoo on my neck looks it looks sharp, thanks yeah. to... Harry's. Yeah, cheers, yeah. Harry's. And also Jeff and Andy, who I watched a video about Harry's the other day, and mm. they look nothing like what you'd think they look. I am a, Has one of them got a moustache? Uh, no, neither of them. I think actually neither of them have facial hair. Well, I suppose you're sort of wearing your brand. I suppose so, yeah, yeah. all but over you your face. you don't need to not... You don't need to. Yeah, that is Jeff that and Andy. Is that what you expected, Jeff and Andy? No, to, to look be honest like? with you, I'm not that surprised. That no. is sort of. Um, although 258 <laughs> views, no wonder they're coming to us. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Good point. They they look nothing like what I thought. Are they American? Yeah, they're American. Yeah, definitely. They look, and that looks like an American diner. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. With well, it's an office. It's an office. All right. Yeah. yeah. Are you <laughs> you looking at the same picture? I'm as just I'm wondering, looking at? can we hire out that office space? <laughs> it does know? look lovely. You're right. Um, but anyway, Harry's are sponsoring the True Jordy podcast. You, can I just say, you don't have to be clean shaven to use a razor because That's a really good there's point. one thing that annoys me a little bit is when you see lads with really scraggy beards. Yeah. A huge part of taking care of a beard is getting the edges right. Oh, you've got the, the jawline has to be perfect. Yeah, because it's the same as, you know, if Mona Lisa wasn't framed, but this is the same you have to frame it correctly mm. in order to make it a work of art nailed it yeah smashed it and so that's why Harry's are more than happy to offer you guys an offer again other yeah 295 we're carrying the song for, yeah what? for a complete package because they were so happy with all the other people who had listened to the podcast oh. and then bought because we told them to so if you go to uh, harrys.com forward slash true geordie harrys.com forward slash true geordie and for 295 you can get a trial set trial set includes uh, I've got it some I've got it here got it here a weighted ergonomic razor handle which mine came in orange yours came in by, by 
weighted ergonomic razor handle. What you mean is a razor. A razor, yeah. But which, you, which, which, which like you attach the blade to. But the thing yeah. is, you don't realise how important that is in shaving until oh, it, you have a good one. It is, it, it is quite lightweight as well, so it makes it, but not too light that it feels cheap. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? It's just perfect. Yeah. And you can sweep down the skin yeah. and make a lovely just motion with your wrist there. Yeah. You get the perfect little... Nice curve in the beard. Love yeah. it. Yeah, you can implement curves into your shave. Mm. Most people just shave in straight lines. I like my shaves curvy and I like my women curvy. Yeah. Both the same. I don't know how you always manage to fit women into a shaving ad, but you do. And also, um, you know, women like to use razors as well, so you can double that up. Yeah, that's a good point. And mm. also, I think it's... it's your a girlfriend. M- yeah. Uh, mm. Elsewhere in that package, you get five engineered <clears throat> precision blades with a lubricated strip. It's the strip that's important. Not the lubricant, although lubricant always helps. Yes. We all know that. So we're told rich lathering foaming gel, which is sort of comes in a sweet little package, which mm. I have at home. A travel blade cover, which is more important than you'd think. And do you know what I like about it? Genuine, one of my favourite things about Harry's. Yeah. The box that it comes in. Sweet it's little. so easy. Yeah. Uh, one thing, I, you know, them the big plastic things that razors come in. It doesn't actually look after it. Whereas, um, if you put it in the box and it sort of has a nice sleeve that goes over it. With me travelling a lot, makes life a lot easier. You know what you've done? You've kept the box they deliver it in rather than just the cute little box oh, that no. fits over the end. That's quite nice. No, no, the box that they deliver, it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, keep I, that. I never thought to do that because I just, oh, this smart. is just for delivery. No, 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 no. I've, yeah. got the whole th- I've kept the whole thing. Because it feels quality, doesn't it? No, it's not a cheap at no. all. Like, it co- to be honest with you, the box alone's worth more than the price you're paying for it, let alone the razor. Uh, well, that is actually a really good Honestly. point. Yeah. Uh, and then that's all the delivered. Uh, it, c- it comes in a Rolex box, to yeah. be honest with you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Fair play to them. You get it out and you think is this a Rolex or a razor oh, you've got no idea what you're in for but yeah. it's always a pleasant surprise yeah but you can't tell the time with this razor and I will let you know that before you buy it no. it will not tell you what time it is okay and, and who cares what time it is when you've got a chin that's so well shaven I tell you what you definitely won't have a five o'clock shadow uh, <laughs> it also comes in a tidy box I just is that a funny joke? I can't remember now. Oh, carry on. Uh, anyway, it all comes in a tidy box and is delivered right to your front door. Mm. So you don't need to leave your house. Yeah. There's a mailman. He just says, hey, what's in the box? No, and he he says, you don't speak to the mailman. Oh, don't you? Because the box is small enough to be put straight through the letterbox. That's actually a really good so point. So you don't have to fanny on talking to people and, and with all that, oh, what time? Oh, and you had a busy day and all the small talk. I hate small talk just, with the, the mailman. Just get on with it. Just tell it. Just just put it through the letterbox and don't come too early because I hate being woken up early in the morning. Oh no, that's the best bit. Nah. As a kid, I used to run downstairs for that. That nah, was the, that was the nah. best. Just pop it through the box, mate. Pop it through the letterbox. Pop the Rolex box through the letterbox. Yeah. No conversation necessary. Wow, we're making a diss track at the same time. All for a great price of two ninety five for that trial. Uh, there are m- many more details, uh, but you can find those on the link that we give you, which is harrys.com forward slash true Geordie. All the details are there. You don't have to sign up to something that you don't want to sign up to. It, they deliver the blades and as and when you want them, which is much better than... No, genuinely, and, and, and I will make a lot of jokes, right? But completely honest, yeah. I'm actually really proud of the sponsorship deal because... It's a really quality bit of kit, and yeah. I'm like, I'm happy to be associated with that, genuinely. And that's why we blabber on about mm-hmm. it for minutes on end. Mm-hmm. Uh, go and take a look, harrys.com forward slash true Geordie. Back to the podcast? Yeah, cheers, mate. I, I just I just remembered that recently about the the pride that I felt with All that. Right. So, because I was like a kitchen porter, I thought, you know what it is? One of my mates wanted to join the army. When I was ironing trousers, it was Gary Reimer, give him a name check. He wanted to join the army, he was a few years older than me. So, because he wanted to join and I respected the guy we, we went to join the army together 
he couldn't get in because he had a criminal record for brain some landlord or something <laughs> brain me as well I've got a scar it went out drinking I remember him battering me one night mm. um, and then I, so I was going to join on my own but I got into trouble I got, I got drunk one night and I got bound over to keep the peace so because I had that I had to wait a year and eventually I got into the army to the Royal Artillery I was Gunner McCann and I wow. remember coming to London for the first time to Woolwich and you know I loved it I love this this because nobody knew about my past. Because as I grew up in school, they'd sometimes say to me, Is it true about your mum being this prostitute or not? That's where I had that low self esteem. So this was my opportunity to start again. They don't know. Living the lie though. And and I started that journey and uh, I kinda loved it. And finished my basic journey, went went out to Germany, it went pear shaped. Because sort of eighty nine now, that year Marshall Cavendish brought out a magazine series which you, you might have come across it. The murder case book series. It was about prolific murderers and edition number one was Peter Sutcliffe and I said Peter Sutcliffe it was about the Yorkshire Ripper the reason I paused there was this week it was back in the news it was up in the North East now isn't it mm. Peter Sutcliffe it was back in the news and the journalist rang me and she went right we've got, we've got another Ripper story and I think what when will they understand that that word is a description of how he killed his victims, mm. you know, ripping and tearing the flesh. And a journalist, you think they'd have a bit of sensitivity. His name's Peter Sutcliffe, actually. Uh, rather than saying it's a ripper story, it's like it's no big deal to them. Uh, what, uh, I didn't, do you know what? I didn't tell him. I should. I should. I should have said to her, "Can you call him by his name and and have, and under, have the awareness?" But, uh, it almost gives him because it, it is quite. I imagine for him, it's almost a status thing as well. Like there's quite well, a yeah, status. Be, uh, I mean, serial killers in general they have massive egos I, I don't know I've never watched an interview with the guy but it wouldn't surprise us if that was the case but for the journalists and for the other people when you were younger as well when you were talking earlier talking around you as if it was no big deal and now the journalists saying oh we've got another like it just baffles me that how people it, be that careless well how does it make you feel when you well I was that? angered when I, but I yeah. thought well she said to me we've got a, I can't tell you what it is but I'm going to ring you back and tell you what it is will you come on the sofa I said do you know what I'm just going to mind your expectations here I probably won't do it because I've just I, you know I've been interviewed to death about the subject mm -hmm. and I don't want to be kind of pigeonholed and it upsets the family and, I, and I, but I, I thought if she rings back I'm going to say to her can you just bear in mind what you're saying when you're describing him in that way his name's Peter Suckley and, and she didn't ring me back that day anyway um, so I didn't get the opportunity to do it I don't mind got onto the yeah I'm getting onto that because I call him by his name Peter Sutcliffe but this not, was in the, the magazine that, yeah and mm -hmm. it was it was the Yorkshire Ripper basically on the cover and it found its way back to Dortmund in Germany where I was so one of my fellow gunners Ian Wilson from Milton Keynes I thought it was posh because we're from Milton Keynes you wouldn't think that nowadays would I not no I wouldn't <laughs> I, I've been to Milton Keynes you go around yeah. in circles don't you yeah um, you say this is you isn't it this is your mum and you know because I was from Leeds McCann and it even mentions me and Sonia. He was trying to chat up my sister, Sonia, through pen, being a pen pal. There's no internet then. So he, he, he knew it was me. And because my cover was blown, it was like I was back where I started and, you know, not feeling as good as them. And, you know, being frank, I went out on a drunken rampage. And I remember getting blottoed. And I mean, this is in Dortmund. In, no, not in Dortmund because we were on a we went we went we went, we went out on a, a weekend exercise because I was a signaller. I was with like the officers, yeah. And we went out for a drink on the Friday night before the <coughs> uh, the exercise started on the Saturday. Mm. And I thought to myself, because I'm on the radios the next day, I better get back and get my head down. 
and I don't know what came over me. I went out into the open air, and when the air hit me, you know, it like multiplied the drunkenness by it three. It does, mate. Yes, that does happen. And I just remember thinking to myself, because that anger was there, and I thought I'm going to leave my mark on society like he left his mark on society, and have them all talking about it because. And I went round this German village and I, I, I smashed the fence here and I'm damaging cars in garages and nicked a motorbike and kicking windmills down. And I, I remember thinking, they're all going to wake up in the morning and go, you know, like, have them all talking in this little village like they were talking about Sutcliffe. Anyway, it all came out and uh, I got basically placed onto this psychiatric ward. And when it all came out, they, all, they, all, they went, basically, they, they discharged me. I am unfit for army service, they said. Do you, you must agree I mean at that point you probably weren't ready to you know do whatever the army is supposed to do really. well if, if you're going around acting like that putting a gun in your hand isn't probably you know the best you're right, idea no, you're right. I wasn't you're right because I did have started having fantasies about shooting them and all sorts but that does but that seems it seems like there's another layer to it for you that you maybe did feel that it was the route for you and you didn't get yeah, that I thought it was the route for me but what I didn't realise even though it was like 15 years later is how it was still affecting me at yeah. a very deep level and yeah it, it needed dealing with so yeah you're probably right the, the army life wasn't for me so it was a good call mm. and and I did think to myself anyway I'm back with my sister and I moved back in with Sonia and that was that was that so that was at 89 and then in fact every cloud has its silver lining then my unit went to the first Gulf War and, and I didn't go there and you know what I'm glad that I didn't go to the first Gulf War because mm. there's stories after stories of people that have been affected by chemicals and injections and all sorts of Stuff that I was kept away from. Yeah, it was a pretty shitty time for the army, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and it still is. There's still lots going on out there for, for people that don't get the support once they leave. But that was, so that was the next phase to my journey, and I hit the club scene and the drinking, and then eventually drugs. Where did all this money come from? Where did the money come from for going out clubbing and sort of? I mean, I got a job. I mean, I've always worked. I've yeah, always, yeah. I've always, even despite the low self-esteem, and even despite some of the mistakes that I've made, I've always grafted because I've always thought. I've got to better myself right. paper rounds milk rounds butchers taxi firm you know I've always worked so when I came back from the uh, forces in fact you know what before I got a job a proper job I remember working for a, a private detective agency mm. for £2.50 an hour I'd sit and watch either women who their husbands didn't trust them or Maybe, or, or, yeah. or people that were suspicious of employees and I'd sit in my car I got a little mini for 400 quid on it and um uh, yeah, I did that. And I, uh, what would you what would, like, bad, just bad. just writing down what they were doing? Those sorts yeah, of the things, movements sort of, basically. Yeah, yeah. They went into this apartment at this time. That yeah, or oh, went shopping at uh, Friedman's or whatever it was. It must be quite an exciting. I suppose it's quite it was boring. Uh, yeah, like quite exciting to think, and then you sort of go, well, "I'm just sitting in the car now, watching yeah. someone's front at door." Two pound fifty an hour. Yeah, make for a good YouTube series. Yeah, yeah. I imagine someone imagine vlogging that. Yeah. But, but I eventually got a job in a ladies' wear company in the warehouse. Did best decision ever. Or best. <laughs> no, do you know what? We're going to understand women in a different way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, do you know what? Joking aside, I used to because because I, I was familiar with the term like body suits yeah. and, and other bits of knitwear. I'd use it as a chat up line. And like, oh yeah, what, what fabrics that then? Is, that, is it ninety two percent viscose, eight percent elastane? And they go, what are you talking about? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I know up, all about you. You got to try everything, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, you have. To be fair, it's yeah. better than the one uh, one of my pals does, where he takes his like BMW keys into the bar and he's like, "Yeah, just uh, just driving tonight." You know? And then most women go, "Oh, he's a hairdresser." <laughs> yeah. um, you, you could buy some BM keys, couldn't you? I mean, that, that, I think that's what he was. To be yeah. fair, my uncle actually for Christmas gave me a, despite the fact I've 
been in a four-year relationship now, a Ferrari key ring to impress people. <laughs> that was the one thing he gave me for with, Christmas. With a Ford Fiesta. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, did did um, obviously I'm not going. I don't want to get too much into financials. But do do families ever get um, anything after uh, a, a family member's murdered or anything like that? We didn't. And actually, the little story there. One of my aunties said to us as we were growing up, you know, when you're 18, you'll get some compensation, you know. Yeah. And, and when I became 18, I, I went to sea yeah. and uh, there wasn't. And this this hurt. What the solicitor said when he got back the um, decision, he said, the Criminal Injuries Board, or whatever it was called back then, they say, if there is no financial loss because of the death, you're not entitled to anything. So forget the pain, forget the hardship, forget the trauma yeah. and how it's going to affect... The, because you're not financially worse off because you lost your mum because she was on benefits. And, and and also the fact that you've worked since then, you haven't had to take time off of work. No, 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 we're talking, I'm 18, so yeah. I, I was... I would, I, but what I'm yeah, saying oh, is, yeah, okay. if you'd had to take three years off of work or three months, then maybe they could have argued that for you. Yeah. But it's it's sad, isn't it? That they, that they, they don't... The only value is the financial value. Exactly. Like, it's unbelievable. I, wonder if, I do wonder, often wonder if that's still the case, whether they do sort of factor those. Well, it's even got worse now, I think. Really? You know, having had some involvement with um, this arena, having supported families and stuff, or set up a support group, uh, it's even worse now. And You know, hardly anybody gets criminal injuries compensation. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's cutbacks and everything. We were talking about... I, I want to go back to that working in a warehouse mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because one of the things that when I speak and it's one of the things I believe as well is every job I've ever done even ironing trousers but stacking boxes I've tried to impress I've tried to shine I've tried to think right how can I better myself here and so yeah I was stacking boxes but I, I grafted and that paid off for me because grafting I got given an opportunity to run this computer system in the warehouse which enabled me to get a pay rise and eventually enabled me to buy my own house so Wow. Which is why I'm, I went from, I don't even know the numbers, 10 grand a year. And with the overtime and the pit, I ended up having like 17 grand a year. Mm -hmm. So back then in 1990. Oh, that was good. Oh, 92, 92. It was enough for me to put up, you know, uh, to get a mortgage. So I got, I got my first house and I was I was chuffed a bit. Th th those are things that enable young people to get houses. Which, yeah. uh, those You'll never are, have that. You don't have to worry about yeah, that. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. You'll it's be fine. renting for your entire life. Yeah, we're all renting now. Yeah. It's, it's what's what happening. Do you still... Oh, gosh, do you yeah, still? you can't get a house now. Oh, no, no, well, if you're you 18, can. you've got, got no chance of getting no, money. No, I, I was 24 by the time I got... Well, I, mm. By the time I got moved in, it was 24. This generation, though, they're up shit yeah. creek, mate. Do you still have that house or do you still have... I still have that house. In fact... I, yeah, I rent, I've moved on from there, but I've yeah. still got the house and uh, just had a tenant leave, so I've got to sort it out. It is a real pain in the arse trying to get Hey ho! Yeah. Leeds, Leeds Property Market. Leeds Property Market is actually all right because you've got loads of students. Surely. Yeah, but not where I am, it's on the outskirts oh, because, really? okay. because I actually bought the house because when, when I first came out of the army and I moved in with Sonia initially, I then got a flat. And I was like, I remember getting me flat my own place, and what I didn't realise was right in the middle of like a crime hotspot. I was like, I think I was the only person that worked in this block of flats, and I kept getting burgled and and wow. and, and that. <laughs> They're waiting for him going to work at nine a.m. Going, thank God for that. He's off to work hard to get more money to buy more stuff. What an idiot! So we can fucking Take that VCR. Do you know what? Yeah, VCR. I once got my car pinched. Oh, do you know what I had? He's got so many stories. Voxels. <laughs> They pinched my car from outside because I was near a pub. They <coughs> pinched my car to, and I found my car like three blocks away just to go, just go home. <laughs> just go to Cavalier. Do you remember those? Lovely cars. Oh, oh, they were actually quite nice cars. Uh, they were yeah. quick, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the speed. I think it was about five. They're 250 quid for it. Mm -hmm. um, so, 
yeah, so that, because I got burgled so often, I thought I've got to do something. And I, I moved to the outskirts of Leeds and I got this little place, but it's a little village. And you know what? If you're not from that village, it was very clicky. And um, some people talk to you, but the lads my age, you know, they, they had their own little scene. I wasn't part of that oh, scene. Yeah. In fact, I got this memory one day, Boxing Day. Do you, you believe in karma? I don't because I've seen a lot of arseholes do really well in life, but right, okay. I, I think occasionally it can it can happen. Yeah, I, I, was, I was it was Boxing Day. I was in the bookies, and I saw fifty quid. Oh, I saw some money on the floor. The guy who stood on it, and um, I thought I'm having that. So I picked down and I picked it up, put it in my pocket, and I walked out. But then I thought, have I done the right thing? It might have been his. Should I have asked him? He'd have said yes anyway. So I rang up my sister. I said, Sonia, I'm not sure if I've done the right thing here. Um, I found 50 quid in the bucket she went it was his you better give it to him I went oh no it might not be and I went home that night to my new house Boxing Day and that night because the, the house was beside a pub one of the local lads came out and he basically picked up a, a, a tin of pain and just smashed it through the front window this is what I mean about the locals not accepting me I wasn't one of, the, one of them and, but do you know how much the, the um, excess was to get the window it was 50 quid it was 50 bloody quid um, are you local? The thing yeah. is, you, you don't know, you might have never picked up the 50 quid and you tell the story differently because you'd still have smashed the paint through the window and you'd have just been 50 quid down. What's, what's, what, yeah, what's, what's interesting about that individual, who was a Leeds fan in particular, mm. uh, incidentally, and I saw him a, just a few weeks ago going through Leeds with one of his big mates. And I'm there, in my, I'm there in my Range Rover and, and uh, obviously I've moved on a little bit since then. And he went, oh, look who it is. He forgot what he forgets is I was looking out my bedroom window I wasn't pissed like he was and I saw him do it mm. and he forget, so he's like oh hi and I went yeah just just, just nodded and he walked off and, uh, reinforced um, drive away yeah anyway so uh, where, where were we oh yeah know, so yeah, things were starting to go well yeah mm-hmm. bought my house despite the the idiots that lived around there but uh, around this time I got involved in drugs was that the the, the rave scene by the any rave chance? scene was it? Was it really a was rave really? scene? Well, I've, had... not, not, I've never been to a rave. Actually, I have been to a rave. I've, I've danced on the beach at Cleethorpes. We've had a lot of guests who no are No one's like, ever oh, said that before, by the way. We, <laughs> we've had a lot of guests around your age who love, got into the music. And Genuinely, the, I don't yeah. think there are gateway drugs. I think there's gateway raves. <laughs> and then every drug story goes from there, back in the early 90s. Because everyone, everyone loved drugs it. at that time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got into it and I was the most anti-drugs drinking. I mean, I did drink... Um, but I foolishly took a rapper speed off one of my mates in the warehouse and I took it and I could not believe it the f- mm. the s- it was oh, oh I was like wow it was just like took off my body it's like bloody hell best dancer on the planet chatting girls up all night it was you know I've, I speak about this it was it was something that I found irresistible mm. For a number, of, for a, for a num- yeah, absolutely. Mm. What he didn't tell me is how that, that after the drugs wore off, we crying my eyes out, the mm. come down, and oh, jeez, um, ended up in hospital one night. Yeah, the, that co- was the come downs aren't worth it, are they? I've never done speed. Yeah, I've never done speed. dad, my dad uh, was uh, banging to speed, and was that, he? oh yeah, oh, my dad's trying through the week. My dad's had everything you can try, basically, but speed was one that he particularly enjoyed more than the rest wrecks your teeth um, but uh, it's um, teeth are pretty good but yeah he, he, he said it was he loved it it made him really concentrated and productive and happy and yeah uh, so, some people but do there's a, there is a price to pay you yeah. know, you know, there is a price to pay for all that 
But so you, you felt like you were chatting all the lasses up and you were having yeah, a great time. I could like I I had this confidence that yeah. I'd, I'd not felt before, and but, I came, and I became a little bit of a I won't say I was a, a celebrity, but it was because it was so appealing, and I stood out a little bit. I started wearing tartan tartan suits and tartan top hats. And I got a tartan kilt of that John Paul Gaultier. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> tartan fucking toilet paper. To be fair, yeah, if it. you if you're going to embrace the the red hair, then you're going down the right route. Oh man, it's yeah. full blown. Like, yeah. but, so you had a the thing is the guy we had on I'm, I'm thinking specifically about um, England's Wolf for Wall Street podcast that we did mm-hmm. with um, we started following last night on I forgot his name but yeah. the book yeah he 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 said ecstasy he had, guy he had um, that's what some people still call him um, I, I need to bring it up now because I feel bad because we forgot his name right there uh, Atwood it's uh, Sean Atwood Sean. come on right. Sean Atwood. <laughs> Sure. Did, just that. go for the go, wait because you didn't have your phone. no that's right yeah. um, he said he had a similar lack of confidence I suppose like what you're referring to when once you have this drug it almost inserts that into you and you're supercharged yeah um, but obviously it's false and it so is that, did that lead you down a bad road then it did and I started dealing drugs basically I, you know I was I was involved in it not in the same level that Sean was doing mm. but I was, yeah, I was dealing drugs. In fact, I started promoting in clubs and um, didn't make a lot of money out of that, but it paid for my weekend. I ended up losing my job and I eventually got... Did, did you lose your job for any reason in particular or can you remember? I have to say that a lot of people got made redundant at the, at the place uh-huh. of work and I got kept on by Stuart. I must reconnect with Stuart, the warehouse manager that gave me this start. He was like a dad to me. Uh-huh. and um, But he kept me on, but eventually... I had to go and you know probably um, influenced his decision the fact that I was you know it, it wasn't stupid mm. um, so do you now look back so how did you end up going to prison was this the start of that road would you say I went, I went, well the going to prison was the end of that road that yeah, was the end of my drug taking journey which mm. lasted about I don't know three or four years so how do you how did you get from the first time you took speed getting locked up yeah why did I start dealing drugs well when you're taking them every weekend you know you're going out with your mates mm. somebody has to buy them and I thought right you know what we need, we need 20 pills I'll get the 20 pills and add a couple of quid on add a couple one. of quid on that's how then, it starts lad and then I mean, and, and, and really that's it didn't get much bigger than that but in the student when you start there's a lot of students in the club scene in Leeds and we, we, you know we were the locals so I, I ended up buying 50 and then it was like Hundred name gets around. Yeah, he's the one. Quite if you need out. But the, what, what's the guy with the tartan? I'm not. Yeah, the tartan hat. Yeah, yeah. You kind of miss him. <laughs> yeah. The, if the cop has one to know, just look for the lad wearing tartan. Mm. Uh, actually, I think a copper did approach once in a nightclub, but you could tell you could tell by his shoes that they weren't they weren't clubbers. You know. Anyway, <laughs> these big boots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're really and the police uniform. They're really shit away. at that, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> You know, once date, after I came out of prison, I once dated a uh, WPC, and it was really kind of strange. Uh, but then she did a check on me, and, uh, and she obviously which, I, which I, she I, isn't allowed to do, I don't think by law. Uh, I believe so, but I'm not going to uh-huh. hold any grudges. I think yeah, it's difficult to dispute that after she's found out. Was there a little bit of a dynamic there where you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm getting, <laughs> you, I got fucked, a little but way now sort I'm of, doing yeah, the Obviously, I don't use language like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a bit, it was a bit interesting. Um, you're getting your own back. Um, how did I go from that? Well, yeah, so I started taking drugs. But what's interesting 
is that the right word? Is I stopped taking, I stopped dealing the drugs because, you know, I did a bit of, so I lost my job. Then I did a bit of promoting clubs, and I thought, you know, listen, I've got to get back on the straight and narrow here. So I stopped taking, stopped, stopped going out. But a police informer basically set me up mm. and said, uh, we'd like, in fact, I said 100 pills, didn't I? I was taking, I was getting like 20, 30, 40, 50. When he came around and said, we want 100 pills. Him and his dad, and his dad was known. Why didn't I listen to people? His dad was just come out of prison and was a very serious player. He used to supply Northern Ireland drugs in a big way. And they came to my house. I remember coming to me, and I thought, what's his? I'd never met his dad, but his dad was there. And he came in, a big gangster type, and he went, right, so we want 100 pills. I went, oh, I'm not getting involved in that. So I'll put you in touch with the guy. And he went, oh, no, no, not just yet. We'll, we'll come back to you in a few weeks. So I'm back working, and... See, never, when I'm speaking, I get an hour to share my stuff, and I, I don't give the detail. Oh, that's cool, mate. So this is the, the detail is, um, his son then comes round about three or four weeks later, so right, we'll have those 100 pills. And you know what? I, ju- I should have, like, referred them on, because I knew, instincts told me, I'm getting set up here. But I didn't. And I just thought, oh, I can't be bothered, so I'll just, I'll just get them and do it, and then that's it. Uh, and, and also, if you're facing some intimidating bloke, you, you're just going to sort of try and make things go with the floor. What, what what was interesting was he said well, I want 125 pills but I'll have, I'll have 25 on the Thursday and then I'll have the 100 on the Friday so I met him on the th- why didn't I realise because if he wanted them just take him off me on the Thursday mm. so I met him on the Thursday night he took the 25 were for him for personal use you're joking absolutely and the 100 were for the setup for the setup so then the next day on the Friday get home from work rings me and says I'll, I'll have them now and my stomach's churning. I'd heard him out in this, on, on this, the country lane and I walks out of my house and this guy, remember it's a village, this guy walks past, I thought, he's not from around here. In a big bulging coat, he obviously had a camera. And I, 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 I even got in my car, I came back Because in around. those days, they didn't have the tiny iPhone cameras. So he's walking around like, there's a ghetto blaster on it, but it's got like a strange lens sticking out of it. It's just... Just listen to me music. He's getting in the it's car. Even on. In Why is he pointing his ghetto blaster at us? <laughs> that is. I can't sorry, the police. The, genuinely, you. I mean, you're a bad criminal, but the police in your local area <laughs> sound genuinely dog shit. Like genuinely terrible police. <laughs> you guys walking into the local bar with their boots on. <laughs> their hats oh, still no, on, no, but no, no, so. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, I drive into Leeds City Centre to apparently meet this guy at the, at the uh, coach station. And I go into a bus lane and it, woo, 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 and um, pull me over. It's him and the Taunton. <laughs> it's him and the Taunton. Get him. In my Ford, Ford Orion gear, I recall. My grey Ford Orion gear. Now, Fords were the coolest cars back at that. Like, Fords <coughs> were the cars to have at that time, right? With, with alloys, which I got, yeah. the car got pinched, actually. You had style, mate. <laughs> People Credit. always stealing from you. <laughs> I've never known the guy robbed so much in my life. Cheers. Genuinely, I've had more stolen than I've ever heard. I, I get that after hearing your story, I get the feeling <laughs> every time he goes to the shop, he just chucks the keys on the ground. Going, well, I'm not believing these anymore <laughs> yeah. because by the time I get back, this won't be yeah. here. <laughs> you had a lot of cars in your time. I've had a few cars, though. yeah. <laughs> Oh, what a fucking... Mate, your story. My first car was a Mini, and I, and, I, and I crashed it. You know, I'm embarrassed to say this, but we're being honest here. Mm. I was drink driving. I was 18, uh, and I got pissed out of my head, and I drove the bloody car. What on earth? I don't even know how I got home, but I must have curbed it, and it spun it round, and it, all the bottom fell out, and I had to scrap the car, but silly, silly. I, made, I made some silly mistakes. Yeah. So, 
the ultimately you, you got to a stage where you made the ultimate mistake and, and was this how you got locked up that's yeah I got arrested for that uh-huh. and, 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 and to prison. was it long that you got sentenced to I got a year yeah so, so actually when it happened I thought I've got a flight here and what, how did you find being locked up in general because I suppose you've been through bad things already in your life did, did it feel like it, you know there was parts of it that were horrific but it, it wasn't that bad and you know what and sometimes I'll do this when something is put in front of me prison or what an opportunity or something that scares me I just think about my mum mm-hmm. I think it can't be as bad as losing your mum so I just have to wear a different hat go in there and it could have been worse I you know I could have got shipped out I got a job on the hospital wing yeah, I, mean, I think it's interesting what you just said there though is once again we're talking about perspective at the start it's how you deal with what you're put through and if 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 someone does go through something bad and they overcome that, it's great to draw from that and have that strength and say, whatever you're faced with, whether it's speaking in front of thousands of people or all these different things that you've been through since then, you know you've been through worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, you gain confidence from that. I think that's great that you have that attitude. Yeah, you, and yeah. When you said it was horrific, though, what, which uh, what happened? Well, I found a guy that hung himself. That was that was a shocking part. That was a shocking thing to see. And I was faced with a guy that wanted to kill me. For what reason? You're not going to believe this. I mean, Leeds. He'd, he'd stolen your car. <laughs> <laughs> it's related to the car. I mean, Leeds City Centre. I mean, Leeds City Centre. Going out on a weekend, I've got a DJ in the back, and we're going to one of these club nights that I was promoting. And I just nudged the car by accident, and I pull over to swap details, and this guy jumps out. Baseball, Brian, get the baseball. You know, this is going to get nasty, this. And police just coincidentally just drive past as I'm... This is going to... So I wave them down. I didn't have any insurance details, it turns out. And uh, what... He had, so he got locked up? Uh, he did well. get locked up. He got a life sentence for murdering a guy in Leeds. Right. Outside, not far from where I live. He, he dragged a Polish guy out of his car to pinch his car and drove off with him and killed him. And that's what he got sentenced for. So I've, I'm. So on they've the, been on the lookout for him, and you'd. Well, I don't know if it. I don't. I, can't, I don't know the, the the sequence of events. Mm-hmm. All I know is, he did that. He got arrested for it. He got a life sentence. Whilst I'm in there, so I'm on the hospital wing of the prison. He just gets life sentence. And when you get a life sentence, they put you in a cell on the hospital wing. Gather your thoughts and. Anyway, so I'm going to give this guy his uh, his dinner. No. And then he remember he recognizes me from the guy that pulled him over for the insurance thing. He went, "Yo, I'm gonna kill you." It was like Jesus, and, yeah. he, and he'd stabbed, he slashed the guy inside, cut his face up, and it was it was a scary time. But obviously, a lot of the guys well just kept me away from him, and he was locked up in a cell anyway. I, I'm up and down the corridors. Whew. Did um, people? Uh, because at that point in your life, did people know? So, friends, did you say to other people? what your experiences have been did you share with anyone in prison that your your mum yeah, passed so away I, I um, became part of what was the the hospital wing cleaner team the mm-hmm. six of us we were in a six man cell uh, and yeah you know it, it all came out and they did know mm. and they were sympathetic and so that that's why I'm saying they looked after me yeah mm. because there is that sort of there is a bit of a hierarchy in prison that if you have suffered not that I know this but from what I've read if you have suffered from a crime like murder or something like that then other prisoners will almost not be lighter on you, but there yeah, is a bit more respect yeah, for your situation. Course. Do you yeah, know what I mean? There is, and um, often enough, since then, since I've become a speaker, I've gone into many, many prisons, speaking to inmates, you know, inspiring them, getting them to think differently about 
not just their own journey and what they might do in the future, but about their actions. I remember speaking at um, Grendon, Un- I think it's Grendon Underwood or Grendon anyway, prison. And I remember 70% of the inmates were murderers, they committed murder. And it's a bloody tense one. Mm. But because I've, going back to your point about that respect, because I'd lost my mum to, you know, in particular Peter Sutcliffe, who was quite a high profile thing, that I had the respect. So they listened to me. And you'd also been in prison yourself. And, they, and, that, and that's always like a joker up my sleeve. Mm. When that all comes out, all of a sudden it's like, and we, basically, I got through to them. And I remember getting a letter from somebody within the uh, member of staff saying, there's an individual that's murdered somebody, I don't know the detail, and had never faced up to what he'd done and the consequences and the impact. And after hearing me share my story, he then watched us start working on himself and what he did. And that was just really nice to hear that, that having shared my stuff, it was helping him. You what, know, was that, what was that like walking into a room oh. you, full of people that you knew were similar to the person that essentially changed your life? It was tough. It was hard, but I knew I, knew I was safe. Mm. I knew I was going to be looked after. It, it, it makes me <clears throat> contemplate the uh, just the reasons why people do such horrible things, and you're then walking into you know a snake pit full of people who some might have done it out of rage, some might have been like sick and twisted and premeditated, um, but regardless, they've all committed the same horrible act you know and it just makes you wonder why anyone would do these sort of things I guess there's lots of different reasons Mm. there's lots of different sets of circumstances Uh a lot of it was revenge and some of it was you know drugs and there's all sorts of reasons why they were in there Um, and you know what I think if me sharing my stuff to them just helps them because eventually most of them will get out Mm. think about what they do it might stop them, you know, lashing out, whatever, in the future. And that's a positive thing. Then, then how... Mm-hmm. And th- tell is. me if I've, I've asked a question too far here. How do you now feel towards uh, Peter Sutcliffe? And how have your, how's your journey of your emotions towards him gone? Interesting question. They've, they've fluctuated. And I, I can remember me and my sister Sonia when we... I think when I came out of the army and I moved back in with her initially, we concocted a plan. Because when she left home at 12.13 she discovered that mum and dad weren't married when she was born she changed her name to, to my mum's name so she wasn't Sonia McCann she was Sonia Newlands so what we decided she was going to do is she was going to start writing to Peter Sutcliffe as a pen pal you know he had all these pen pals and mm-hmm. she was going to befriend him and then eventually she was going to go in and visit him and basically try and kill him right so and that, that is what we felt you know that's you know Full That's raw, as raw as it gets. Yeah. And were you, between the two of you, you cooked that up, or how was that sort of, we where, where, does that, where does the nucleus of that idea start? Does, did she come to you and say, I want him, like, how does that start between two? Because you, you say you're quite close, you're almost, you know, you are almost, um, you know, soulmates. Soulmates. But yeah. Well, you're talking 25 years ago, so I can't remember who initiated. Yeah. And it's probably in some drunken or drugged state where we thought we'd get revenge. Mm. So I, I can't, I can't really be, be sure about who. I think it may have been her that instigated that, mm. knowing that she really was angry about what had happened, and she was, she was the older one. You know, she was a year older than me. She was like the the second mum. You know, our mum mm-hmm. would sometimes leave us. Do you think she was angrier than you were? Uh, I'm not sure if she was angrier. I don't know if that's the right word. What I do know is she was affected more in a mm. negative way by what we'd all been through what, what I haven't shared 
his mum's boyfriend after dad left he abused Sonia which she kept to herself mm. and, and it, then when she told me in writing the book and sitting down and having this heart to heart she told disclosed this to me and it just explained everything about her turbulent life about the way that she behaved and conducted herself and violent men and it, depression all that all that uh-huh. it all just made sense and it just broke my heart to mm. hear that um, and so you you two concocted this plan which obviously never really never got, did never, no, never no, got off the ground no so that's where we were with regards to feelings about him mm. and that I imagine there is also something quite empowering about knowing that you could do that back to him or sort of do something to him I wouldn't say that now no but at the time but at the time it felt that it, way it felt that way because yeah. we, you know, we had no acknowledgement well, uh, no acknowledgement through even the family that mm. what we went through was horrific. I know that they probably knew that, but we weren't getting the support or the counselling or so. And then and f- through society, it felt like we were abandoned. It was like, oh, forget it. I know that they weren't forgetting about Peter Sutcliffe because it was always in the news. But as far as we were concerned, as the children of my mum, no one was interested in us. So I guess it was like that revenge thing, wasn't it? And, and getting some acknowledgement. I don't know, it's all a bit messed up. It's, really. No, it, it, it's true though, because now you mention it, it, it is almost like uh, it, it's written from the bad guy's perspective. The headlines, they're always about the, the bad guy. It's never about the innocent victims of this person, you know mm. what I mean? Like after, obviously the, the headline will read about the, the, the victim, but the victim's families who've got to live with that for the next, for the rest of their lives. That, you know, you're supposed to just go along about your merry way now. Well, it's like that journalist sort of starting the phone call, we've got another Ripper story. Yeah. So like that's, again, it's not it's not from your perspective. No. And it's an incredibly insensitive way to approach anyone who's... A lot of journalists are like that, unfortunately. Yeah. I've, I've had calls at quarter to midnight, you know, it was a daily mirror, I might be wrong on that one. You know, he's had an heart attack. He's going to die. What do you think? I'm a, I'm asleep. You're waking me up. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm partly to blame for that because when my book came out 12, 13 years ago, obviously we had publicity yeah. and and interaction with the media. So the, you're still on that. I'm still. Oh, I mean, someone I'm, goes, we've got him on a file somewhere. Well, call I am. I am I'm on yeah. a file. I get it all the time. And this guy, he's had a heart attack. What do you think? And I thought, oh. and I didn't give him the answer he was expecting because I said I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that because he's got family and he's a human being and he's going to die so I, that's what I said they didn't put that in the papers so what I'm saying there is that my thoughts about him have changed in those in the years that I've had to um, think about what he did and, 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 and you know live my life and how, how have they changed has that been mostly down to you or have you sought counselling or well I've, I've, I've sought counselling over the years but that was mainly to do with my failed relationships because I'd always ruined them right. I always pushed people away because even though I had lots of relationships because I was almost addicted to getting into a relationship and just feeling loved and worthy I'd, no, I'd normally push them away because mm. really deep down I didn't feel good enough because mm. of all that shit you know like I was trying to live a lie. So you're looking for the answer, which is the new girlfriend, but really the real answer is in you. Yeah. That's the real issue that you're looking for. So that's why I went for the counselling. And, yeah. and that was... Um, I can't remember what years that were. But anyway, it's 15, 20 years ago. And yeah. The, the the change in respect of Peter Sutcliffe, it was, in fact, it was related to the going into prisons. Mainly when I go into prisons, when I have gone into prisons... It was through the Forgiveness Project. I don't know if you're aware of the... You probably won't be aware of the Forgiveness Project, but what this project is, is... It's just a collection of stories of people that have been harmed, mm. wronged in some way, and then the victim would then give their opinion on forgiveness, one way or another. Mm-hmm. So I was 
so that had an interesting story and I became one of their stories and they would take a you know one of a storyteller into prison share their story and then I would go and then they'd spend three days with the inmates looking at their journey <coughs> wow. as part of that and incidentally I'd not forgiven him yeah but as part of that involvement I was invited to London in 2010 to their first inaugural lecture by Archbishop Desmond Tutu mm -hmm. and he spoke about forgiveness and it was that day that I decided I was no longer going to feel anger towards him. I would just let it go. And, you know, my interpretation of forgiveness um, is what I did that day. And I'm, I'm not resentful. I'm not angry. And when I got a call to say that he's dying, what do you think? It's why I was able to say it. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Mm. I'm genuinely sorry to hear that. And when they said he was going back into prison up in the northeast, uh, what do you think about that? Well, I went okay, I'm not going to celebrate that. It doesn't change anything. So if that's what the, the authorities have decided, then that's it. You've let it, you've let it go, so to speak, as, um, as, as close as you can. To as close as I can, yeah. And to, to feel nothing rather than anything. Correct. Because, because part of it is, I'd imagine, or I mean, I don't really know about the, the mindset of a killer, but the, that power that they have over other people to make them feel that way and the influence of being able to do that to someone else. So the forgiveness is ultimately sort of taking the power away from him. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it, that's all they it, have left, isn't it? When they're in, when they're in, when, locked they're in when they're locked in a cell, they can't carry on killing. So oh, the only sick and twisted thing they've got left is that. How did you feel about people writing letters to him or his status as a not a sex symbol, but sort of a symbol to some women? Because that must be quite difficult. That did anger me. Yeah. Over the years, mm. and, and I've not heard anything recently, but I, I remember back in two thousand and five, there was a woman apparently going to marry him. Yeah. Mm. I, I remember it and uh, in fact we were making a BBC documentary at the time and it's one of the things that we spoke about on, on this thing that's why I remember it and I was thinking for goodness sake you're going to marry him that's how I felt at the time yeah. do you not understand what he did and anyway it's funny she didn't how marry him you get a lot of sick idiots like that though as well like well, I mean we had a guy who'd done um, 20 odd years on death row on the show now as, as happened he was an innocent man <sighs> Um, but he he said you'd get letters all the time just for being on death row. Like you know the women, there are women out there who are attracted to that for some strange reason. It's bizarre. That I find bizarre. Mm -hmm. Strange. It's the the it sh TV sh TV show is called Death Row Housewives and shit like this, man. It's yeah. mental. It's the commodification of that though, and that uh, maybe it's also really unfortunate for you that you went through this. <clears throat> maybe it's fortunate because of where you've ended up, but it, it is unfortunate or a byproduct of the modern media that there isn't really any escape. 100% away from a front page of that or you turning on BBC News and them saying an update on yeah. or because you can't it's not that you can just mute those specific things and because it's everywhere you can't really ever 100% step away from that no I, and I accept that now it's just mm. part of my journey it's part of who I am and, and, and going back to how I felt as a kid I, I felt like I was in some kind of film that's how it still feels it feels surreal mm. what's strange about it is I'm just like you I'm just a normal guy mm. yeah and, and I still pinch myself thinking I'm right in the middle of this uh, I suppose it's this week because the, the media have been on to me again um, how do you feel about how do you do you still talk to the media about that sort of thing well well I do and, and, and I did uh, they invited me onto the, the ITV and I said no but then I made a, <laughs> the way of the world now I made a Twitter video on Periscope did <laughs> they just put that at on? 10 to 6 20 past 6 it was on my local news yeah goodness me um, I've got a problem with that because I guess I was giving them what they wanted without me having to go into the TV station. But my point on that one was, because what the story was, was he'd been asked by the ITV, 
did you kill any men or did you attack any men? One of which I've met, one of the guys that survived and um, his response, and this is the thing that he wanted a, a reaction from me on was, he wrote, yes, I did some bad things, but I didn't kill any men. I want you to know that. So they were saying to me, he said, they did some bad things. What do you think about that? And I said, you know what? Yeah. That's the first time that we've had any acknowledgement from him that he, what he did was wrong and bad. It wasn't like voices from God. It was a bad thing. So I think that's a step forward and that's I, I welcome him acknowledging that. So for us, to for the public or the media to expect him to say, what I did was horrific and I'm... So, it's not going to happen. Well, because this guy's a guy with no empathy. People who commit these crimes in the first place are exactly. so cold and exactly not, they've got nothing in their heart yeah. that they'll never be able to fully uh, repent for it because there's nothing there to draw from to do that. In my opinion, no, yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, and I accept that now. So when they when he writes that, I think fine uh, from him. That's that's a good thing. It, do you do you sort of believe in that he isn't a good person? Is that is that the way that you see him, or how do you see him as a, a person? Because I often I'm often quite troubled by hearing you know that someone's good or someone's bad. Because I also think that sometimes that can draw people towards living that sort of lifestyle. They want they think I want to be a bad person. That's, that's going to be my identity. I think what he did was wrong. I think what he did was bad, horrific. But I think the guy's ill. Yeah. It, it, not ill as in going to hospital I think the guy is just not Men made mentally of, ill he's mentally in, in some, to, to some degree I remember reading something about the police when they interviewed him in the times they let him go nine times didn't they if you remember yeah. the, the, but anyway and the, I remember reading something about his eyes being black mm. and that almost like soulless because there's something about him that's just not the same as you but are do you, believe, do you believe that stuff or do you and I'm not saying your experience is any less because I don't know anything, I virtually know nothing about it. Do you believe that stuff or do you think there is a sort of a, you know, in the same way with terrorists where they go, well, you could always see it. Or do you actually believe that he sort of was a bad person? And you can stop me at any time. Bad or it. ill. I, I, I know yeah. people say, is it bad or ill? I, I think it's all the same thing. The illness made him do bad things. How much do you know about him now? And is it stuff you want to know? And Do you go out of your way to find that stuff out? Not anymore. Yeah. I did, But I did meet his doctor. I met one of his doctors who because I did write to Peter Sutcliffe over the years I've, I've written to him twice one because when a f book first came out I wanted to meet the guy and mm. I wanted answers I wanted to know why you did what you did and I think that was naive knowing what I know now because he ain't going to tell you in fact it'd probably do some damage if I met the guy if and, anything he enjoys that side of yeah, that power yeah but then when I forgave him not I'm his mate I'm not his mate by the way I'm on about when I let that anger go I, I did consider whether or not I wanted to let him know that because I thought maybe there's a slight advantage to let him know that I'm not angry at what he did there's a slight sort of checkmate feeling there isn't there no not, no, no, not, not checkmate right it, it, the situation is, is what it is I he's in prison I've lost my mum and I'm getting on with my life that's it but if you look at the whole situation I just thought to myself if I've let it go if I can tell him and he appreciates that and maybe I was naive maybe there's an advantage to that mm. maybe there's an advantage I know it's for him not me but maybe that's the thing I should be doing then letting him know like the greater good sort of thing yeah yeah the greater right. good and the fact that your mind can even take you to that place mate speaks volumes about the type of person that you are because I don't think many people would be able to go from the level that you went from and the pain that you were in to even contemplate that so the fact that you can even think about letting him know that 
says a lot about you. So I think you don't even need to go there. Do you know what I'm saying? In my opinion, anyway. Um, one thing I do think is potentially a good thing is if this was ever going to happen to you, it's, it, I don't know, you let me know if I'm right or wrong in thinking this, but to have it happen at such a young age might have been better than being a 13, 14, or 18 year old. Absolutely. Because I didn't really appreciate the, le- the, the detail of what mm. had gone on. And had I been a bit older, that might have affected me. It's know. amazing how kids can recover from things as well. And looking I'm, at you now, you've, you've done a, a good job of that. Did you, um, thank you. When did you, did you look into it? Like, at what point did you, be, because it's, there's almost a human curiosity there, isn't there, of what, why things are the way they are and what happened? Yeah, when, when I, did you I, go through that? Over the years, I know maybe 20 years ago when there's a lot of books written about him, I did look into his circumstances and what might have happened that would bring him to that point. Yeah. And there are some things, and I'm not making excuses for him, but there are some things that happen in his life. That you can see, oh yeah, that probably did influence him there. Like the dominoes that you look for. Yeah, like he did go or attempt to go with a prostitute, and I think he couldn't get an erection, and she she teased him and bullied him when he was young. That happened. Mm. So then he, the, that's a seed planting for this anger. Mm-hmm. And I know it's wrong, but you can see that. Oh yeah, that, and then he idolised his mum, who apparently was trying to be unfaithful with a friend of his dad's or something, and then the dad set them up. The dad went and sat and waited for the mum to arrive at this pub and brought the kids with him. So, you know, there's there's, very, there's some messy things very that happened yeah. that damaged him. You, you think to yourself, though, in my, in my opinion, with sick and twisted people, uh, they're always going to lash out at someone. It's just sometimes this life event that makes it this particular kind of person. Like, I don't know, there's people out there who want to kill a lot of people for skin colour or whatever do you know what I mean because they've had one bad experience yeah. or um, but we can't it doesn't make it excusable to do something so disgusting no it doesn't but I'm just, I'm just kicking this about now and yeah. thinking about this but maybe Richard 20 years ago was looking for reasons behind what he did so it it, it can't be possible it was just completely bad because that's harder to accept mm. if there's some some kind of reasons that led up to it well oh, that's a bit easier to you want to make sense of it all. Yeah, I think that, that mm. there, is, there is also a big problem with the the fact that it is. It feels like such a rare thing, and I actually think uh, murder is a bit more common maybe than people realise because we sensationalise a lot around murder. Maybe we just remember one or two things because the media cover it in a certain way that makes them exceptional people. And from hearing your story and actually hearing how often you sort of you know, thought about maybe having a gun and killing other people or planning to go and do something to him. There's a very fine line in your life very often where you could have gone the other route. Absolutely. And how unexceptional that actually makes a murderer or someone who can kill. There are, they're no, they are different, but there isn't, there's a very fine line between the two. There is. And what I haven't said is when I, when I was growing up, before he was caught, I was having fantasies about going and killing men. Yeah. I'll go, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll go run down men I will go attack men. That's what I thought about as a kid. That that was because because I had all this anger inside. So there is a th- and you know what I could have done that. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, I'm reading a book by Marion Partington now. Marion's daughter, sorry, Marion's sister was killed by Fred West or the Wests. Right. And she was able to find forgiveness. I met her actually, and she said when she realised that she had the capacity to murder herself because yeah. of the rage that she felt. She then realised 
that she could find it within her to to let it go as well. Mm. And I have, we we all have the capacity. You you talked about you being a big guy and you know you got to watch what you how you might lash out. I watched something yesterday. I don't know why I clicked on it. it was on on a news channel. It was a Russian guy that had taken a flying kick against a wrestler. Uh, they got into an argument over whose sport was better or and it killed him so we've all got that potential uh, to uh, uh, yeah um, uh, we're talking extremes here but I understand what you mean because to understand something is to uh, to be able to accept and like move forward there's that, that empathy level of it though as well I think but, or maybe not empathy but that sort of some people have or maybe go on that journey to get yeah. to the point where they feel empathetic. To, to, to me, when you talk about like good and bad people, I think it's like a spectrum. I think, you yeah. know, there is there is one extreme and another and a lot of people fall in the middle or whatever. But I think when it comes to people who do these acts, I don't really feel like they're on there. I feel like there's a, like you say, ill. Like there's, there's sick and twisted people who don't understand what they're doing is right or wrong or it's just what they want to do, you know, and I don't think that they're aware of this is good, this is bad. And the impact. No. Yeah. And that's why there's no empathy. Personally, that's the way I view them anyway, but, yeah. You, you know, you've got me thinking about things here. Do you know, like, going through life, the jobs that I've had, I've always tried to be the best because that's good for me because I might, I might get a promotion. I think there's a, there's a similar thing going on here because if I'm angry about what he did, and that's understandable, mm. and it's a natural thing as well, mm. but, if, but if I can find empathy or forgiveness... That's good for me. Yeah. And, and I think I've taken a lot, and I'm nearly 50, aren't I? I've taken a long time to come to that understanding, but letting things go, forgiveness, it's, it, it's not how you might think it. It's not, right, I forgive you. I mean, that can be a level of forgiveness, put my arm around you, let's shake. No, for me, it's about letting it go, not letting that person dictate how I feel about life and about what you've done. Do you know what? It's done now, let it go, I'm moving on. Yeah. I've got my own family now, mm. which I have. I've got, I've, oh, I've got a beautiful thing that happened a few months ago, my son. A little boy turned. I mean, they're aware of what took place mm. with their grandma, and we speak about it quite often. And he's also aware. I want them to be aware of the forgiveness side of it because mm -hmm. it's been a big part of my journey. And I was speaking for West Yorkshire Police about three months ago, and I said, "Oh, son, I'm speaking for West Yorkshire Police tomorrow. That'll be interesting." He goes, "Why?" Of course, it was in. How West, old is his son? Is that is 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 nine? Right. So I said to him, well, it was West Yorkshire Police that were looking for him because there's different police forces. And right. Like, oh, yeah. Right. And he turned around and he. Stop me in my tracks. He says, Dad, you know what? He says, I think I forgive him, my son. Uh -huh. I says, why? He says, well, he might have had a, he might have had a bad childhood. He, might, he said, he might have had his mum killed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I said, well, actually, he didn't have his mum killed. I says, but that's a beautiful thing to say. You know, for my kids to have that understanding about the power of forgiveness and letting things go, I think that's, that's just a beautiful thing. How often do you yeah. are you asked... Sorry, do you have a? Really no, I, I just um, I empathise with what you're saying because um, I had a lot of anger towards a person once in my life, and uh, I did contemplate going to talk to them about it because I thought this is fucking eating me alive. Yeah, just a chat. Yeah, and just to say and just to try and sort it out, although they didn't deserve that. But I just thought it, this is going to fucking take over me because like, I actually wanted to like beat the fuck out of someone at one point, like to the point of. I guess kill them like you know like I really I hated them that much like if you told me they'd been hit by a bus I would have been like oh fucking great made my fucking day of that mm. like I would have been like that and I thought this isn't healthy so I did think about going to, but eventually I came to my own conclusion of that's actually not they don't deserve that and it's and it wouldn't be understood or reciprocated from their end so yeah. it's not going to benefit me to go there and try and do that but letting it go 
I don't know if I'd say forgiveness, but letting it go is a really healthy thing for everyone to do. Like, because um, holding on to anger and that it really doesn't help your life. And ultimately, we all want to have a good fucking life. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It must be very frustrating for you as someone as well, though, there are, because there are also a lot of people who will... You've told your own story, but not everyone's going <clears> to <throat> read your book. There are a lot of people who also want to almost co-opt your story a little bit and tell it... You know, there's a lot of people who want to write about him. There's a lot of people that want to write about your story or mm. your aspect of that. Journalists call you, they want to... You know, they might take your words and spin them in a way. How do you feel about that? Because, you know, the journalists... Because like you say, those journalists are all looking for quotes, and you might go, well, actually, I feel all right about it. And they'll go... <laughs> Next, not. yeah, next, yeah, yeah, yeah like exactly. Next one we can call who's been in this sort of how That's, how do you feel about other people taking that story and trying to spin it to make it their own, you know, maybe their own front page or their own sensational side? How do I feel? I've just listen, I, I've grown up watching almost weekly stories about him, mm. so them you know phoning me and then not using what I have to say because it doesn't meet the, the, the headlines that they want to put out there oh you know what when you compare things what's happened f- get, let them get on with it yeah you know um, it's just I think you know we, we're all aware of what the media do it's almost inconsequential in a sense towards your bigger go- the yeah, great yeah, good in yeah, a way yeah and, uh, and I guess in a way it is also pushing people towards maybe seeking out your story and you know well the thing is I, I'm a bit of a a watcher, and I, and I know a lot of people do, do uh, of documentaries about serial killers and all of that because they are seen as totally different. And I find it interesting like, what, what goes on. Do you know what I mean? You know, I do. Uh, like, I, I actually I, I, yeah. enjoy watching them because I want crime to programs in yeah. general. I find them fascinating. About, but since meeting you today, I'll always watch them a bit differently from now on because I'll always think more about the victims of of, of what they went and did yeah. because. Uh, you get into all the gory details and you know the, the police trying to catch them and you think more about that than the people who are left What's behind. What's going on for them at the moment, yeah. yeah. The, the, the victims of the crime who are left behind, you mm. know what I mean? So. I, I do have to, um, what was the one, was it Marilyn Kircher? The, the girl who was, she was on holiday. Uh, I don't oh, know what her name uh, is. She was an American girl who was accused of killing that, another girl uh, in yeah. some sort of sex triangle. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. There was a documentary on that, and the thing that struck me most about that was the journal. There was an English journalist that was involved who was flown over there, and he was a sick, twisted piece of shit because he was basically like, "It was great. It was a young, good-looking girl who probably killed other people. It sold papers for us." And I sort of got. Who, I, who was he saying that in the documentary? Yeah. So this journalist is oh. sitting there, sort of saying it's sex. You know, she's attractive. He, he, he actually, I remember the documentary. He's he a said sick piece of it shit. had everything. It had everything. And, oh. and, and, and what he meant was the full story. Yeah. It was great for us. And, and it was also great. It, it was great from a documentary telling perspective because he was so, he was actually he was almost like such a raw faced asshole that you were just sort of like you almost looked at him and thought, I can't believe you're saying and this. In a way, like, I. It was well, sick you know, the way he spoke, but the truth be told... It was such a great documentary. It, it, no, the way I look at it was... So many journalists are this man, yeah. but it, it, we're finding out one of them actually acting how they really are behind yeah, closed doors. that phone call But he could, could, could have been a bit more sensitive, couldn't he? I mean, oh, oh he, he was the most insensitive But he's the perfect example of yeah. a, an arsehole journal, basically. Do you, of, do you often hear other people's story told... Or in hearing other people's stories, told, has there been any sort of therapy or kind of help in hearing what other people have been through? Because you say you're part of a support group, or you've been well. I, I set up a support group in yeah. Leeds. Uh, Sam support after murder and manslaughter. 
And well, in fact, they helped me years ago because mm. I watched this crime. Th- it was Trial and Retribution, and I was disturbed. This is 19 years after Mum had died. I was like, I jumped out of my sofa and I'm pleading for this guy to stop killing this woman. It was like I was watching my mum being killed, and I, I rang Samaritans and they put me in touch with this organisation. That was many years ago. When I finally started turning the corner, I then contacted them and said, "Listen, can I help? Can I?" No, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll retrace that. They asked me to set up a support group in Leeds, and I said, what do I know? So you know everything. So I did set up this, and I went for about four or five years where we would get together once a month. And I can't say that I was helped by hearing their stories, but I certainly feel that they were helped by, um, by knowing that I'd been through something similar and I was willing to listen to them. Someone who made it to their forties, essentially, and you know, didn't. Well, I mean, there were some people older than me because they lost children. Um, right. uh, but all I'm saying is, somebody thirty years later has come through it and, and understands. They, they just took some comfort from that. Mm-hmm. Actually, a couple of years ago, I was asked to go over to Liverpool because um, this woman's son had been killed. Wrong place, wrong time. Wasn't even supposed to be him, and she, she she found a way to me and says, and I sat with her. I went over to Liverpool and sat with her, and they wanted to adopt me. It was beautiful, but. Um, you know, just sitting down with someone like that, so that because most people don't appreciate what that feels like. So for them to sit down with someone that does appreciate their pain, that was just a beautiful thing to do. Mm. Um, and you, one one thing uh, we haven't covered is you are now in a, a relationship, and you've got a got kids. I'm married. Yeah, I've got three ginger kids. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I looked at you then. I thought I'd... he has a hint of red in the. I've got the old Viking genetics, mate. Yeah. To be honest with you, but, no shit. But. What I, what I do want to talk about is you now you've now got a really successful career. You're a public speaker. Yeah. And how did you get into that, and what does that entail? When I wrote the book, I was on national TV, and in particular Radio Four Woman's Hour. And somebody heard me share my story ten minutes, and said, "We've got a conference coming up, and we'd like you to come and share your story." Now, bearing in mind lack of lack lack of confidence and low self esteem throughout most of my life, mm-hmm. I thought there is no way I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. But then I thought again, I knew I had that lack of confidence, so I thought if I do it, it might help me in some way. So I accepted, I went along, I did an appalling job, I sat down in a chair, I read out of my book, and <laughs> it was the start of that journey, and that was 2005. And then I got, I, I became a Samaritan volunteer myself, and they had a conference, they said, because I'd written this book, can you come and speak? I went and did this thing, it was horrific. And then somebody put me in touch with or suggested I join the Professional Speaking Association. Right. I went along, intimidated, they're all there with the suits on and little old me. And I thought this could be good for me. And I realised there was an industry where people are, you know, inspirational speakers share their story. And I decided, when the book came out, I went to university to thought I'll get, I'll get some qualifications. But because I was getting these invitations to speak, I made a decision, right, no, I'm going to change tack. All the money from my first book, little do some of the extended family realised I spent all the money on going to university because I packed my job in so there's no money from the book left so but I decided forget that write that off and I'm going to I'm going to become a speaker mm. that was in 2006 I made the decision November the 4th of November 2000 Saturday the 4th of November at the Belfry I saw a speaker from America called W. Mitchell and I thought oh my god blew me away I thought that is what I should be doing mm. and there are some fantastic speakers oh, out there aren't there because I've gotten into watching some of them um, who's that big giant guy? But uh, Bobin, Robin, Tony Robinson. Tony Robbins, I've seen it. So he, in two thousand and six, he's, yeah. he's quite a compelling speaker. Yeah, he he, um, he basically tries to break people down and build them back up and all that. And uh, 
like cut your bullshit away. But he charges like thousands and thousands to come yeah. in, and 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 I, I realized I was like, I mean, obviously he's very talented, he's very good at what he does, but it's like I didn't realize it's it's a business. It's, it's in it, yeah, and, and I realized that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? I've got a message for the world. I've got a story like this guy. I'm gonna do this. Mm-hmm. And I walked away from uni. My tutor said, "Don't." And I thought, "No, I'm gonna do that." I've got, I knew I had a story. I was a crap speaker, but I thought I'd get some help, get some coaching, and gain some confidence. I speak around the world now. Mm. Two thousand times, over two thousand times. I'm speaking this afternoon in London. I've seen your TED talks, which was fantastic for anyone. Oh, that's a small one. Yeah, yeah. Richard McCann TEDx, tw- eighteen minute version. Yeah, it's condensed, but um, I mean, this is this is the real deal. This is the best thing. All right, I'll, but do, but do it, check yeah. out. Uh, yeah, you've done a lot of good talks. Like. Yeah, I've I've been around a little bit, and uh, I've learned the hard way. I made some mistakes, and now I also do presentation skills training. I, I teach people to do what we're doing now, which is just have a chat in a conversational style. But it's hard, though. This is what people like. The thing is, when you watch it, it, it feels like you're in the room and people are having a conversation. But when you have to get on stage, I've had to do that a few times, and I, I think I'm quite naturally a good speaker. But it is a skill, like it's it quite is. a formative thing, isn't it? Well, you just got to calm the nerves and that, and you yeah. got you look out and there's all these eyes on you, and everyone's like, "All right, go on then." Yeah, do it, entertainers. Yeah, all, all the cynics. Are like, yeah, and then there's a few of them like. Um, done that about five times so I never normally do that he's normally a good speaker um, but there's a few of them who will be like doubting you and, and it, it is quite uh, you're under a lot of pressure you are you are mm-hmm. and uh, what I've got up my sleeve though is the, the see, they don't they don't normally know what's coming right because so, I know I've got that and it's going to surprise them I, I'll just take them back. I'll, I'll, I'll get I'll get those cynics I'll win them over within five minutes uh, and once again nothing's as bad as losing your mum so you, you can conquer that nervousness and anxiety I suppose of being in front of people is that one of the things that you drew from initially well the the thing that ins- the, the thing that gave me the courage to be able to get up and what we have skipped over incidentally is the first time I got up mm. which is when I was 13 at school my, my oh. the public what it is my English teacher who I'm back in touch with 30 odd years later my English teacher Mr Hill encouraged me to take part in the public speaking competition I was petrified but I found the courage to get on and I found the courage because I lost my mum I'd have not lost my mum, I wouldn't have found the courage because I thought, well, that can't compare to losing your mum. Mm. So I got on there, my dad raised pigeons and I spoke about pigeons. Mm. And uh, do you know what? Co- coincidentally, unlike everybody else who had slides and, and OHP projectors and posters, I had nothing. I just spoke like this. The reason I say it's coincidental is because for the 12 years I've been speaking, I always use slides. This afternoon in London, I'm doing a talk without any slides whatsoever. It's going to take some guts, but I'll have to rely on the story and I'll have to give a bit more detail. And and see how it goes, but yeah, I took a pigeon in with me. That was my only prop, and, and I won the competition. And you took a pigeon into, into a that was my only prop. Uh, yeah. It was in a basket side of the stage, and after I got a bit more confident, I said, "Excuse me, got this pigeon," and the it was be- just a beautiful moment. I got this big poster in my office, which was drawn, fr- funnily enough, by a woman called Mo Lee. Mo Lee was attached to my Peter Sutcliffe and I helped her you know, over the phone over the years she'd become an artist she drew me this big picture of it's, 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 it's a guy with a pigeon like that and it's because she knows how significant it was and it was a significant moment for me and I guess it was a seed that was planted that you know was blossomed all these years later and it's what I do there are those sort of weird strands because you never would have known her had you not been through that situation no correct yeah. and so um why why pigeons? Because you're, you, my dad you, raised them. You grew up, around, yeah. So did you grow pigeons. up around that? And were you quite sort of into well, I pigeons? I had to feed them. I had to feed them. How so, do you feed a pigeon? You sort of drop some. Stuff you take in. a pigeon corn. Yeah, I've got a confession actually. 
So my dad would sometimes be working away, and I'd it say like, go get two pound worth in money of pigeon corn. So I go to the pigeon uh, the pet shop and say. Can I have one pound fifty? I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> it'd, always, it. it'd always give me the fifty pence change, mm-hmm. and I'd go buy three ba- three bars of well, chocolate. I listened yeah. to one of the interviews you did on the way down, and when you said um, from day one you were a little bit like that because you'd go next door and you'd go and do a shopping for her, and she'd give you fifty pence oh, or some sweets and that. Me. that and was... I thought to myself, I knew I was going to get on with you because I thought I, it, I did that. No, no. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's a northern thing, but like the pigeons and all that. Pigeons are like our, my cousins had pigeons and that, and they had nothing, but they had loads of pigeons. And you'd go around and like in the back, and there'd just be like so many pigeons and stuff. What it do was... the pigeons do? Like I'm a little bit. Conv- I'm not. I I remember driving around because if you live in the Midlands like I did, mm-hmm. and you live out sort of near the little town, little villages, a lot of people do keep pigeons. Mm-hmm. They're either show pigeons, so that so they look good, and you take them to shows, and they win awards. And are they pretty or, birds? Or, some of them are. You yeah. have to pay for them, though. Right. Or they're uh, racing, homing pigeons, and you race them. Th- these so days, there's a lot of plastic surgery and uh, yeah. enhancements <laughs> yeah. going on. Do you know what? Yeah. There's some Kim stuff Kardashians of uh, the, the pigeon world. Giant asses. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> some shenanigans went on because what what your competitors would do is they put a cat in the loft that would kill the pigeons. You know, you know, the, some stuff went on. Really? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And so, have you ever like, like the burger wars? Sabotage. It was like pigeon wars. And yeah, you we had knew, that. and you knew that, and they would people come over, put a cat in. Yeah. What they like through the night, the through the night, they just yeah, yeah. Them, sh- 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 just put, then put a lock on the door, and uh, so I knew all about the pigeons, and I just basically spoke about them, and. And, and I won the competition. Did you did you like Pigeon? I know there's a little bit of a people are probably going bloody other pigeons. Yeah, but he, he, this is a typical Lawrence subject. I'm though. just saying though. I mean, I find it quite compelling to find out what people are driven by when they're kids. Do you like pigeons then? Still yeah. and well, still to this day. I can't day? say that I like them, but I like to see them. Have you got any tattoos? No. Have you ever got a tattoo? Did you not hear when he first came in? He said the man with all the tattoos meets the man oh, with no, no, no tattoos. Because uh, I'm the type of person like I like meaningful tattoos and stuff. And if I, if I was you, get one day get yourself a pigeon. No, but when I see pigeons now, like, we might be on holiday somewhere, and a pigeon will turn up and say, "Oh, that's my dad." So you know, I lost my dad, and um, yeah, well, just, it's just a nice part to my story. Is, yeah, is the pigeons. One thing that I, we started down, but then didn't really get onto because speaking out of speaking was losing your mum very young is obviously very difficult. Um, a lot of people identify having a poor relationship with your mother or not having a relationship with your mother as therefore a reason maybe you were going to these poor relationships with women in your life. Mm. And we get a lot of emails from young men on this show who maybe they only have one idea about what kind of relationship they want. And they don't quite know how to maybe change the way they act in relationships. So how did you go through all these poor relationships or and what were those problems? And how are you now in what you would consider to be a more healthy relationship? Yeah, I won't say that the relationships were particularly poor. I mean, some mm. were unhealthy, mm-hmm. so maybe shouldn't be going with that person. But most of them were, were, were reasonable. But I'd end it. I, I, it'd be like self-sabotage, and I'd, I'd, you know, at a subconscious level, I'd find a way to push them away, mm. so they'd leave me because deep down I didn't feel like I was good enough. So mm. then I got what I felt I was deserving of. How did that change? I, well, I matured, but I got the counselling. What I haven't said is I got two years of psychoanalysis, and I don't know how helpful that was, but I think it must have been. What is what psychoanalysis? So psychoanal- it's not normal so, counselling, is it? No, it's not. It's yeah. like. So counselling is like we'll get together and have a chat about what's going on and kick things about. Felt like I was talking to my mum really. This Sandra still still does it. But psychoanalysis is where you basically sit down on a sofa or lay down on a kind of bed. Honestly, nothing might get said for five minutes. Right. And then whatever's going on for me, I might just it might say like a sentence, and then you'd explore that sentence, and it'd be. It, 
basically your brain would bring to the fore what needs you discussing and it might be something that you thought the night before or the day or just now really really deep and I think if you go through something really bad you need someone to do that with you and whether that be a friend an aunt an uncle what cousin whatever but if you'd gone through so long without doing that it was always going to yeah. have to happen at some point. Sure. You went through two years of that. Two years of that and two and a half years of counselling. So it's four or five years. And I'd still say that there are still things that are not... I don't, know if I, I don't use the word perfect, but if I say perfect, you know what I mean? There's, there are still things that affect me that I think are as a consequence to what happened in my childhood. The, the thing that... And I have to battle with it. It's that, it's that the sensitive side to me. Like the comment yesterday on Facebook where the girl says, no one wants to listen to your bullshit. It's, oh, it's like a bit of criticism and I have to kind of yeah. uh, hold my head high and move on from that well, But because it, it's, it's like being criticised as yeah. a kid and not being worthy not being good I, I, I read when I was obviously uh, doing my research that um, you had to go to the police or something about someone tweeting you nasty things as well or something like that wow you have dug deep oh mate I'm, uh, I'm he good goes at what, ten pages deep I, on I'm Google. good at what I do oh Yes, um, somebody wrote something about... Is that a common thing? The internet's quite like, cruel you know, Because to me, I, we, I get trolled every now and then. It's like, oh, it's bullshit because I'm just true Geordie the YouTuber. It's not a big deal. But people will say things that they feel are going to hurt you the most. On, and whatever they've got on you, whether it's you're a shit YouTuber, um, they'll use that or whatever. They'll try and hurt your feelings. But to me, there's a line. Is it normal for people to cross that line? No. No. For you? Do you feel like people respect that? Yeah, I mean, somebody saying, no one says, listen to your bullshit, that's just somebody in, in a negative place. This individual that went to police about, it was, it, you know, it's two years on now, it was the 40th anniversary of the night when it was the 30th of October, two years ago, and I just made a tweet or a Facebook message saying, you know what, it's quite a moving evening this evening, I was on the motorway at service station, because it's 40 years ago tonight, that mum went out, and this idiot... Mm -hmm wrote something about I almost well I won't repeat what he said because it's too I mean it's not important mate I'd, but he, what he, well, the, the point scumbag. is he, he basically said my mum deserved what she got right but it went into much more detail than that I thought you little shit I'm not having that so I went to the police because it did hurt me and disturbed me and I think you've got every right to go to the police personally he, he, he's on the run now but not for that he's on the run anyway so. mm. he is now yeah or what, so he, he, got, he, got, he got a court hearing in Leeds and uh, didn't turn up and they're, they're looking for him hey ho it must be do you know what yeah. do, 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 going back to the forgiveness thing I wanted to meet the guy at court and go do you know what I'm going to shake your hand and hope that you've learned something through that but I'm not sure I, I don't know it comes back to that old thing mate is will there will there be anyone on the other side of that hand who actually is uh, aware of the level that you're operating on because you're enlightened at this point from all the crap that you've been through but he's obviously not if you're writing shit like that on the internet I don't think yeah. you're on that mindset no, no you're right so yeah. it's Letting. let him rot no obviously uh, here's a question for you mate you've come out the other side you're really successful now and you're doing great I'm, I'm not sure of the, how much you can remember of your mum but how do you feel she would feel now looking down on you well, I think she would feel proud. But the pause was influenced by the bloody cynics out there that would think that, oh, I'm trying to be egotistical, saying she'll be, she'll be proud. If, if I was my father, 
I would be proud of my son. Mm -hmm. If my son did some of the things that I've done, you know, I, I can generally say that I think she's proud and I'd be proud of my son had he dealt with the I, things. I think everyone would agree with that because, you know, it would take a lot of people under what you've been through. And, uh, and, I, and I think mainly proud about the father that I've become and the family that I've got. Cause mm -hmm. I've got a beautiful family. And Didn't your son do some um, public speaking as well? It did. See, man, I've done my research, fella. He was actually in the Cannon pub. <laughs> <doing> <laughs> yeah. No, last year my son, when he was eight, was asked by the teacher, teaching assistant, what do you want to do when you're older? They've all been asked this. So I went into the parents' evening and on the wall was some little uh, postcards. I want to be a teacher, I want to be a fireman, I want to be a podcaster. <laughs> um, but my son was there with his little white thing saying, when I grew up, I want to be a motivational speaker. I went, oh, son, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, Dad, but they laughed at me. Now, I don't know how accurate that is. She's only 20 and she's off having a baby now. But what I did is I, I, I gave him the opportunity to start doing that. So I started bringing him along to my weekend events. And I remember first when he did, I said, son, do you want to say a few words? He went, no. And they all laughed. But I'd got him on stage. The which, next one... Which I'd, is half the battle, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and then the next one was, in fact, I had all three kids on the stage because I want them to not to feel... You know, how I did as a kid and then the next time I went to a presentation I did a presentation skills evening I got him on stage and he, we almost like kind of staged it because I said just give him some support he, he stood there and he went if I can you can too they gave him a standing ovation and we just built on from that culminating in him well actually the penultimate one was him speaking to 1500 teachers at the Leeds Arena which was awesome mm -hmm. but the biggest one was at the Echo Arena in Liverpool which to 3,000 people and he's now writing his own book. He's got his own website. Check out ellismccann.co.uk. <laughs> so all his videos are on Legend. there. Obviously you can't contact him, uh -huh. but these little videos are there. I'm trying to empower him to understand that he can do whatever he wants. And your sort of uh, motto in these talks is about having that uh, attitude of you can do anything But it's the want. I can. My name's Richard McCann. It's all this, the I can philosophy. Uh, I like the logo. I like the way yeah. you did that. It's good. And... Um, a lot of people in the audience, they, they seem to get a lot from what you're saying to them. They do. There's, there's so many different levels. You said it earlier. There's so many levels to my story, and you know, it might be about the relationship with the father. It might be about you know, the abusive relationship. You wanting to have their own business. You know, there's there's so many levels to it. People tend to enjoy it, mm -hmm. and, and it, it, it does. I mean, it's, it takes a, a really hard-faced, cynical person to to listen to that and think, what, what was that? You know, most people enjoy it. You know, and yeah, I, I love sharing it. Yeah, it's a great. It is a great story. Um, as hard as it's probably been to go through it at times, but it's 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 a good one to share. Like you say, it is. Because you know what, I get I get inundated by people that have been either read the books or been to another event or have read me or watched me TEDx. And when they when I get letters from people that say that they I've had I've had letters from people in prison around the world, South Africa, that the books found its way there. And they've been helped by reading how I dealt with. You know what? For every one of those letters or posts or tweets I get, it means my mum's death wasn't in vain. Right. She's helping people. She has helped people. I think that's I really important. I don't myself, but it's, it's... That that must be a really nice thing to take from such an awful event is um, if good can come from bad, then you know you've done well. Yeah. Where do you think you are now in terms of your journey? Like where you, because it's clear there are questions we've asked you where you've, you've still, you're still emotionally sort of wrapped up in some of this stuff. Not in a sort of a showing weakness sort of way, but you know what I mean when we ask he's, questions. He's still, you take you're still pause. going through the steps yeah. to where 
one day you'll you I think you're in my opinion looking at you now you, you are you are emotional about a story but it's it's such an emotional thing that you've been through it's impossible to just be cold do you yeah. know what I mean but where do, where do you see yourself when where, where? Uh, well I mean in, right in, now in the future you know, you, if, if we imagine there's a ladder and you started it on the bottom and the top's up here do you feel like you're somewhere in the middle or on your journey do you know what I, I, I probably say, I'd like to say the middle mm-hmm. and I'd like to think there's a few years left in me and I'd like to think there's some more levels to my story mm-hmm. that I will unpick and ways in which I share it that you know maybe through podcasting um, that have yet to happen mm-hmm. and so so yeah I think there's some work to do I do believe that a, a large part of my journey we've all, we've spoken about it is the forgiveness side of things and how that is put out there because when I speak about forgiveness, sorry, when I speak and share my story, I don't, I don't share that typically. I did it at the TEDx talk because that was about the power of the spoken word, and it was through the spoken word of Desmond Tutu that I found forgiveness. But ordinarily, if it's Barclays Bank, we don't talk about forgiveness. And I do think that's a large part of what might be going on for me going forward, getting people to think about forgiveness. I don't just mean something that's harmed you. I'm not about in general letting things go in the workplace and I'll the little things that p- like piss you off as well not 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 just a massive thing like you've been through but it, it is a great quality to have isn't it yeah that, 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 that emotional awareness oh. thing and so, 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 there's, so there's lots for me to learn still <sighs> and, and to continue doing what I do and obviously retiring one day and becoming my son's agent <laughs> ideal seems like a good plan mate. Actually, on, on, on that subject my daughter age six has also done it now mm-hmm. she hasn't got her own website but she was inspired by him so I've got this big event called I Can Live and she spoke at the last I Can Live in front of 210 people round cabaret table so it was a massive thing and at the end she came on and she she almost copied his words but she said it you know anyway it was a beautiful thing to see mm. Well, it's nice that you're giving your kids an attitude that they can achieve anything in life because um, I was given that and it's definitely helped me not feel like uh, to be intimidated. Mm. And I think more parents, rather than putting ceilings on their kids of what they're capable of achieving, should be like that and say, oh, you can do anything you want and yeah. support that. You, you know, you're right and we should. Um, but, mm-hmm. but there isn't just children that need to hear that. I think, you know, a lot of society, mm-hmm. adults, need to understand that we shouldn't be intimidated by the chief executive or the managing director or the doctor. You know, we're all just people at exactly. the end of the day. And I don't know when that point was that I I realised that. And, it, and it, it's been throughout my speaking journey, but there was a point where now I can go have a meeting with the chief executive. I'll know that you've got some fears. And I'll know that you've got problems at home. And I'll know that there's something happening. In your ch- we're all made of similar stuff. We spoke about this a few podcasts back where I had that experience when I came to London and I started mixing with people who I thought were uh, the big wigs of the yeah. world. And I realised, actually, a lot of these people have got a fucking clue what they're doing. Most of the time it's seen behind the door, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Whereas you get to directly talk to them and deliver the message, I suppose. So you you work that out over the years. So yeah. it must also be great because that is, in many ways they're there to see you talk, as mm. opposed to the other way around. When I didn't I didn't necessarily mean speaking to them at events. I'm not just meeting people. Yeah, mm-hmm. just just you know. Meeting it's definitely people. a reverse of the dynamic, though. Mm-hmm. Normally, you know, a CEO is normally the person you want to go and talk to, whereas now it's they want to come and hear what you have to say. So, some of, some of them do. <laughs> Do you have any uh, remaining questions, mate? No, it's been it's been fascinating yeah. to chat to you. Yeah. I've got one more question I usually like to ask at the end, which is, how would you like to be remembered? What a nice question. 
I think I'd like to be remembered as the son of Wilma McCann that bounced back and recovered having experienced that and went on to affect countless people by sharing that story well mate I think there's not a doubt in my mind that you've done that so well done pal you're already there can you tell us when we're recording uh, we'll just uh, you know, you're not the cameras on now mate did you want me to press record yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright um, do you know what I have to say I, I was a little, oh I didn't give you my gift Oh, really? I've got your pre- of course you thought they all bring your presents. Uh, sometimes they do, to oh, be fair, like. Some of them do, but I take them some, sometimes. Who do you support? He, he gets the Newcastle, mate. What are the colours? Black and white. Got a gift for you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bloody fidget spinner, is it? Up. He knows he bloody uh, loves them. That is not just a fidget spinner. It's a Newcastle. It's in your colours. I want you to spin that and tell me if you don't want it, I'm taking it back, but spin that. That is. Mate, tell him that's not genuinely. You've just made my day. Thank you very much. He's clearly on. watched some of the podcast yeah, before he comes, the yeah. bastard. Thanks uh, very much. Um, thanks for having me, mate. Thanks very much. And also, I want to say thank you to the followers on Twitter because they were the ones who recommended this. And I often ask people, "Can you recommend me people to get on the podcast?" And I and because I, I already know about the YouTubers. And I say specifically, not football or YouTube. And I still get football and YouTube people suggested. But someone along the line said you. I can't remember their name, sorry. There's one individual who said it twice, and Mm. I must check back and see who it is. But um, I I followed up on that, Mm -hmm. and then we spoke, and Mm. I agreed. And then I thought, I better look into what he does. (laughs) Same here, mate. And then I started looking at oh. But it's good when your followers, they know what would work. So they've obviously spent enough time watching us now to know... Oh, this is a good good podcast. So, it's big thanks real, to real, them. real pleasure. Yeah, yeah I've really yeah. enjoyed this. Uh, hopefully, you lot have too. If you have, make sure I hit that like button, stay subscribed. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you later.